All right. Greetings and welcome back to the Grip Street Podcast, episode number 98, the Rolex 24 edition. I'm Josh Huffine. Normally I'm the co-host, but we're flipping the script tonight, so I'm going to host. And joining me, normally the host is co-host, Philip Matthew, certainly one of the biggest San Francisco 49er fans that I know. How are you doing tonight, man? Yeah, well, I wasn't doing great uh, in the aftermath on uh, Sunday night there, Josh, but you know we're doing better. Uh, all the Jimmy goodbyes and everyone being all emotional about Jimmy Garoppolo is great. Um, but I'm looking forward to Trey, uh, looking forward to Greg Papa yelling Trey area um, after every touchdown uh, because there will be plenty in uh, 2022. Uh, well, but to, we are going to definitely talk about the Rolex 24, Aelio Castro Dash Neves and uh, Meyer Shank Racing winning their second major race in the span of, was it nine months or so? Maybe a little less, eight, nine months. And um, that's their first win in the DPI category, I think, also. Yeah, I believe so, um, yes. And they beat the, what is it, the Action Express team. They beat JDC Miller. Uh, that was a great, great uh, battle there. Um, the Wayne Taylor Racing team, who I picked last week, um, had to come back from a few laps down and did, but didn't really have the overall pace. In and then the GT, uh, whatever the GTD Pro category, ended up looking like what the racing will be at the Clash this weekend, with two F- Porsche factory drivers um, running into each other at the now Le Mans chicane. Um, we'll get into all that, but um, I mean, there was a great race there. Football, uh, Joey, uh, Joe Money, um, the new Joe Cool, I guess. Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals are in the Super Bowl for the first time since 1988. And the LA Rams get back to the Super Bowl um, for the second time in a few years too. So we'll get into all that. Um, but yeah. Lots to talk about here tonight. Um, the Brian Flores thing is one thing that I want to talk about for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting debacle the lawsuit that's going on right now in the NFL. Certainly, with Brian Flores suing the NFL for racism and their head coach or coaching hiring practices in general, and a lot of uh, very interesting factors and uh, bits that are coming out of that for sure. But you know, we'll get into the 60th running of the Rolex 24. I attended the race, uh, had a lot of fun there. Uh, first time being at a IMSA event, a sports car race, and uh, being at the Rolex 24 is a great event to be at um, and being able to watch it from a different perspective than what I normally would going to NASCAR events. Uh, kind of felt like how I was at it, IndyCar last year at St. Petersburg, uh, but I'll get, get into that in a minute. Um, but well, again, go over the NFL playoffs and you know talk about the coaching stuff, talk about how the Jaguars continue to uh, fumble the bag with who they're trying to pick for their head coach. And we'll talk about the NASCAR clash, which is uh, coming up this uh, Sunday night at the L.A. Coliseum, first race of its kind ever uh, at L.A. Coliseum, and certainly the debut of the 2022 uh, NASCAR Cup Series and the next-gen car. And then in the roundup, you know, we'll go over the latest bits and silly season uh, for NASCAR and F1 uh, bits, uh, IndyCar and uh, Formula E, and then I'll discuss uh, what I've done lately on iRacing in the sim segment, and then we'll close the show. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get let's get this show on the road with uh, the Rolex Twenty Four. A uh, lot to get into there. Very very competitive race. The, I mean, you got to attend it, Josh. So I guess let's hear what it was like in general, but then what you experienced. Some of the people you saw, some of the people you were looking to see. 
Um, and then we can definitely get into this race. There's a lot to dive into in general. Yeah, for sure. Is especially going to the race for the first time. Um, going going there it starts at 1 p.m. and I thought I'd be able to get in there like with enough time to walk on the track and do the grid walk. Um, but I actually ended up coming to the track around like 1230. I left around like 10, got there probably like around 1130 ish. But then once you get to Daytona, you know, you deal with a lot of traffic and everything and getting parked. And, uh, I got to the free parking, which is across the street and it took forever to get a parking spot there. So, uh, that was a bit, but then, you know, walk to the racetrack, uh, get up there to the pit road and on the grid, I saw 48 car, Jimmy Johnson, uh, ally Cadillac, uh, driven also by, uh, Camille Kobayashi, um, Juan Maria Lopez and Mike Rockefeller, uh, and then saw the winning number 60 car, you know, won the 60th Rolex 24. So, uh, that was a good uh, good look at that car, of course, driven by Elio Castroneves, uh, Oliver Jarvis, uh, Simon Pagano, and then it was also the driven by you know, fading out. Tom here, Blomquist. But, yeah, Tom Tom Blomquist. Yes, yes, it was a so he was new to the team as well. So uh, and really a new team put together. So that was good. But um, being able to watch, you know, walk in the grid was cool. I've only done that once. That was in 2015 when they're kind of reconstructing everything with the grandstands at Daytona and they actually let fans on the pit road. And so I was literally at that time I was walking by Xfinity drivers, but this time, you know, just walking by the crews and seeing them, that was pretty interesting. And then I didn't really have enough time to, you know, take pictures with the drivers or um, talk to them or anything. So I kind of, you know, walked around and just, you know, took, took everything in and they started ushering people uh, back to either back into the stands or going into, you know, the garage and uh, the fan zone. And I was able to see Bozy uh, Tatsuverik, who's a, become a pretty well-known Twitter personality uh, in, on the NASCAR and, you know, racing in general, he's got that racing spaces, uh, racing spaces, page that he does and every Tuesday night. Uh, so you want to talk to him, that's a good place to get a lot of information and reporting from him. But, you know, he also does, uh, pit road work and mechanic work with, uh, Vassar Sullivan. And I saw him there. I like, I think he was getting ready, like to, like, they took a picture with the crew and then he started talking to some other people. And I was walking back to the, um, the garages and everything. And I was like, maybe I should go take a picture with him. But then it looked like they're, you know, getting ready to go. I was like, oh, I'll just keep walking. And then later on, I think I walked by Jordan Taylor. Uh, that was pretty interesting. And I almost, see, I almost didn't recognize him. This is, um, being able to like to see him up close, like he's taller than what I think I thought he was. And then his face didn't quite look right. And I was like, maybe this is a fake or something, you know? So that was a pr pretty interesting. And I think maybe the glasses threw me off there. I guess like the type of glasses he was wearing. Cause I think he normally wears like thick rimmed glasses. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, he might've went and upgraded cause you know, I don't, he's, he's got the, they probably Chevy gave him some extra money and also with the June bug, dirty mo media yeah. stuff he's doing on the side, probably a couple extra um, Sugarland shine deals or something he's got going on. I'm sure he's had some upgrades and he has to do the Rodney Sandstorm stuff now that more, I would assume now that he's part of dirty mo, but yeah, yeah. I would assume that you see him up close because considering how short Wayne Taylor is and then how tall both of his boys are it's kind of weird but yeah and, and, and they I'm, both I'm are short too yeah well and that's the thing and they both don't i mean i don't really think either of them really looks like wayne either which is also interesting they look both of them kind of look more like mom um yeah so that's kind of a good thing but also it's and and yeah so i would assume that and and because of 
Jordan's multiple personalities, I think it would be hard when you go and see somebody up close. It's not like having somebody like Mr. The King because he has his hat. You know, when oh, you see yeah. that hat, you're going to see that. You know, like most of these guys are very unassuming um, and they're not really trying to stand out in a lot of ways. So it's interesting for sure. Yeah. And then I saw, I, I walked by the Ally Pits and I saw uh, Rick Hendrick uh, took a picture. I didn't take a picture of or with him, but I took a picture of him. And it, yeah, like for him, like normally I like with, he had a big, coat on and normally like i see if you see rick hendrick he's you can tell he's pretty big you know we nickname him the the fat felon that's what many uh fans have nicknamed him uh because they hate hendrick motorsports and all that but um and because also because of his um criminal history you know and everything but that's a side point but you know looking at him like i was like wait a minute that is that really him he looks like not as i guess i thought he looked younger even though he's old, but like, you could kind of see like the spots on his face and everything. So that, that was, uh, you know, part of it. And then also like, um, he didn't look as large in person, but maybe the coat was kind of hiding that, uh, for me. So that was interesting. And, and then he was talking to like some of the pit crew members and I was like, uh, man, I got to at least like take a picture of him talking. So I took a picture of him talking and that was pretty cool as well. But then, you know, went back to, for the start of the race, went back to the fan zone deck and then kind of watched the start from there and was able to see them as they're running or, you know, going on to the start finish line, to start the race. And so that was a pretty interesting experience. And, you know, hearing these cars, you know, race for the first time, uh, it's a lot different than NASCAR, especially the sound NASCAR tends to be a lot louder than, uh, most racing series, but I mean, these cars, you could, um, not wear earplugs and, you know, be okay, uh, for the most part. Um, and maybe later on, maybe suffer a little bit of hearing damage. If you, uh, don't go um, unprotected or you go unprotected the whole race with earplugs, but, um, you know, for at least like the little bit there, um, you're okay and everything. So that was, um, pretty nice experience hearing the different, you know, engine sounds that they have, you know, some of them a lot more high pitched and, you know, some of the other classes, a lot more low pitched, uh, engine noise. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and then later on after that, the initial start went to, uh, the, uh, in infield and then went to the inner loop uh, took pictures at the international horseshoe, uh, the kink, uh, turn five and, you know, went to, uh, the exit of NASCAR turn two from the infield and was able to see that. And it was a good perspective, just, you know, seeing the cars come off the banking, uh, up that close and being able to watch them, you know, as they go onto the straight and then go on to the newly renamed, uh, Le Mans chicane, which I don't understand that one, but, uh, that was pretty good to see them there. And then just being able to see them, you know, come on to the uh, infield, you know, going into the inner loop, you know, you have that braking zone going into the inner international horseshoe and then you get in the car, you're trying to get it settled in the turn and then get back on the gas for the straight and the kink. And that's pretty interesting being able to see uh, them as they driving off there and, you know, you get to see who's getting a run in the middle of the turn and getting off and potentially making a pass off of that turn. It's always a good passing zone there especially, you know, if you're on the inside and sometimes you can make it work on the outside. So that was cool. But, you know, being able to just see those cars in action, uh, you know, it was a great experience. And then of course, while I was doing all that, I checked my phone, actually I didn't check my phone, but I had heard from a fan that Tom Brady had retired or the initial reports had come out. And so I had to stop, check my phone and everything and uh, confirm, or at least see the initial reports and start texting friends and family, like Tom Brady retired. Can you believe this and everything? So that was a interesting breaking news while I'm at an event. And it was hard to confirm because 
at a live event, a lot of times uh, bandwidth is hard to get to even, you know, with good technology, with LTE signal, 5G and all that stuff, it's still pretty hard uh, to get a good um, loading page, you know, page loading the same as you would normally when you're not in an event, but that was an issue there, but, you know, you have to deal with it and everything. Then walked into the garages as well and saw a bunch of cars being repaired. Uh, one car that I saw being repaired was of course the number 12, uh, Vassar Sullivan Lexus, which got in an accident, uh, going into, uh, the, you know, uh, turn one and he, avoided a car i guess and then uh yeah they backed into him in the left rear so they took damage yeah. there and then lmp2 car spun yeah. out the the ford or yeah or not it was a 47 i think it was car. a lamborghini wasn't it or it was yeah the ford it was like a no no it was a 47 gtd um am uh ferrari and they spun out i thought it was it's either that or an lmp2 one of them and that ferrari spun out let off the brakes and it was um not kirkwood but the other driver um that uh, on that team i'm forgetting off the top of my head i can go and bring up the results by class here um and remember and look excuse me the um the 12 frankie monacalvo or yeah I think it was a Frankie Monte Calvo who got, um, he was driving the car and, uh, yeah, and that Satar car and then the end, C or Cetilar, whatever, ended up finishing out of him, of course. But um, they, try, in trying to avoid the car, the Ferrari went and let the brakes off and hit him and took off the left rear corner of uh, that Lexus, which was pretty bad. Yeah, it was a pretty bad uh, damage for that team. And then they went back to the garage. And uh, initially, I saw them in the garage um, from the fan zone side. And then uh, people were gathering. So because I had the garage pass anyways, so uh, you know, showed my garage pass and then walked over there and watched them repair the car. And that's an interesting aspect uh, that you don't get with NASCAR races. You basically, if you want garage access, you, know, you got to have a, a hot pass or a cold pass. And those are hard to get. And especially in COVID time, they weren't really handing those out uh, that much. But uh, in general, you know, those are very hard to get. And you have to know people to be able to get that kind of access. But in IMSA, IndyCar, you know, you can buy the ticket and you're good to go. So I, I really like that aspect. And then uh, later on, uh, saw the number 68 uh, G drive car LMP2. Uh, they they had an issue with their rear diffuser. And so uh, they were in a hurry trying to get back into the race. And they, you know, very, very quickly got the car uh, repaired and then got it back out onto the racetrack. And as they were uh, getting ready to repair the car, you know, they have their, their carts, their uh, golf carts that you know they're carrying equipment on and they're like i was kind of standing in the like oncoming onto the, one of the carts and guy was yelling at me he's like get out of the way get out of the way so i had to uh pull out the uh jump cut and quickly get out of the way from uh that cart and then just watch the guys frantically working trying to get back into the race and uh the i don't know who the general manager um, team manager is of principal, whatever of that team is, but he was barking at the crew members, giving them orders, uh, telling them what to do. Um, he looked pretty stressed and everything. And then he was, uh, running around as well. And he was like telling fans that had began to gather out of the area, like, uh, excuse me, excuse me, I'm coming through. And then he had to run and go get a part or something. And that was pretty interesting. And then, you know, they got back into the race, they backed out of the stall. And then I had to like, cause like, yeah, I was almost in the way again. And then I had to back out of that and then, uh, watch them as they back the car out and then get it refired and then go. And then that was pretty cool watching that. Cause, uh, initially when they started up the car, it didn't, it didn't run and then, or it did run and then it quit, but then they got it 
running again. And then he took off and then everybody applauded, you know, successful uh, repair for that team. So that was a pretty interesting aspect as well. And then um, went to the infield again, and then uh, looked at the vendor displays for all the you know different brands that were there, uh, picked up a free Acura hat, uh, snapback. Uh, so that was cool uh, from them. Took some pictures of the new cars that they had on display, uh, saw the 2023 uh, Acura or 2022 Acura uh, Integra that's supposed to be released later this year. Uh, well, I think it's going to be for 2023 model year, but it'll be released later this year. Uh, so that was cool because it's been um, talk about whether that car actually looks good. It's going to be a manual transmission car. Um, and being able to see that one in person is cool. Saw the uh, brand new TLX Type S car. It's the car I want to get next car, whenever that is. So that was a um, cool uh, experience as well, being able to see that. And then bought some stickers, uh, bought Jimmy Johnson sticker, uh, Elio Castroneves, um, Wayne Taylor Racing, bought a Ford GT uh, sticker as well, and uh, bought uh, golf racing, uh, one of the old golf racing cars from back in the day. I uh, got a sticker of that as well. So that was pretty cool. And then got to uh, the point where I was like kind of getting ready to go home and everything. It was getting pretty cold outside and it was cold during the day in the forties, but uh, being able to uh, stay into the night, you start to actually feel the uh, cold air and, and it started to get to me and everything hand start to freeze up and everything. And uh, my hands like couldn't move and it's hard to start texting people. So yeah. that was, that was pretty bad, but, um, is able to get through it and everything. And then took a shuttle back to the stands. Uh, I knew some friends that I know from work or through work that, uh, were there at the race too. So, uh, we were texting through, um, the beginning of the race and we finally met up, uh, before I left in the stands and had a good chat and everything. And, uh, they go to the race every year and they're asking me like, um, you're going to come back next year. I was like, yeah, I'm going to come back next year. This is pretty awesome. And everything. So that was a, um, cool experience, uh, being able to meet up with other people at the, you know, at the track and people that, you know, uh, and everything and being able to actually move around in the grandstands, which you normally are not able to do at uh, NASCAR races. You know, you're normally, you are limited to the seat that you buy, but of course the tickets are general admission basically. So you can walk around at any point in the stands and, you know, get any vantage point, any viewing point that you want. And I was able to do that. So was, you know, be able to do that is uh, really nice for a change. So I you know, was able to see that and everything. And then uh, left, went home, uh, got back at like 1130 and uh, picked up some McDonald's, ate that, and then uh, turned on the TV and kept watching the race until like probably two in the morning and then went to sleep. So that was you know, basically my experience at the Rolex 24. Um, you know, if I were to do it again, of course I would, but I'd probably try to allocate more time to be able to uh, see the drivers at the beginning of the race and actually interact with them. And then also there's a 5k that they run uh, before the race at like uh, 7 a.m. And I'd like to do that, but um, I also need to, uh, to, you know, be in running shape, which I'm currently not, but uh, being able to do that, that'd be really nice because you start on the back stretch and then you go all the way down to the front stretch and then you go through the inner loop and then you circle back to uh, pit road uh, to end that. So maybe next year, uh, try to get some more running in this year and then do that. So that'd be uh, pretty fun as well. But Great experience and would definitely recommend it to anyone that's willing to go uh, to a, a sports car race. Yeah, that's something. I mean, all the things you're talking about there, I mean, it makes me want to go to the six hours at the Glen even more. Um, I've wanted, I mean, I love Watkins Glen. It's my favorite racetrack in the world. But to go to a historic race, um, a major uh, in IMSA, 
you know, and all the things you were able to experience. But, and then you mentioned about how cold it was. I mean, I would have just, I would have been good because of all the winter clothes and because of coming up from Jersey, I would have been good. I probably, I wouldn't, I'm not a fan of the cold like that, but for that, you know, to go and look at like Vanessa Richardson or some of them, you know, other babes or other good things that were going on. Um, they had lots of heat lamps going on up there uh, in the stands too, which was nice. The yeah. the Peacock broadcast, that that's one thing. If people want to talk, complain about Peacock, I'll say this. I sat there and watched the race on Peacock for virtually the everything that I'm for the vast majority of the race that I watched, it was not on regular TV. Um, that was great. Um, you may not have announcing the whole time. There'll be delays because they're swapping around channels or doing, but in the grand scheme of things, that was great. You, you're able to see racing the whole time. It's where they're going to show the IndyCar series. They're going to show all the races. IMSA. they're going to have, there's so many different things they're going to have on there. I mean, I'm not a shill for NBC, even though I'm a fan of a lot of NBC things um, in regards to sports, but the Peacock broadcast and what it is was good, really good. And, um, you know, I, and it also was a great debut for James Hinchcliffe as one of their lead analysts. Um, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't know that he was going to be that, but um, to have Robbie go and get on the podium and get to interview him, uh, you know, and they Robbie going and letting us going and breaking the fourth wall and going and saying it took everything in their power to not start breaking up laughing because they're best friends. And I'm sure Robbie wanted to give him crap because, you know, James is now has to be serious journal, you know, motorsports uh, TV guy. And Robbie's back where he belongs, which is running, running amazing in a race car. Uh, there's so many great stories and so many great things. I'm glad you got to enjoy it. It makes me want to go to a sports car race. I mean, if I am going to go to a race in general, it's either going to be sports car racing or indie car racing. Um, my days of going to NASCAR races are probably over, not just because they're limiting the amount of races in the Northeast, uh, because they're probably going to get rid of Dover after this year. And then Pocono is going to be is down to one weekend. Um, you know, it's just stupid, but we have to go to Texas. I don't know how many twice a year, one for a, a gimmicky all-star race and a crappy playoff race. We have to go to shitty places like Kansas twice a year, all these other shitholes, but we are going to screw over a whole entire part of the country um, that where you get so many great drivers and crew chiefs and people that have come to the sport. But that's another rant for another, I guess I need to get Clayton back on for that one, but let's um, get into the results. Um, I mean, as uh, Josh mentioned, Elio Castro Dash Neves, Simon Pagano, the two Meyer Shank Racing uh, full-time IndyCar drivers, are were the winners of the Rolex Twenty Four. I mean, I, in regards to um, yeah, GT, I'm trying to move that over. Yeah, so the they're the two full-time IndyCar drivers, the Oliver Jarvis and Tom Blumquist, the son of legendary rally driver Stig Blumquist. Uh, are the full season drivers Jarvis of course has experience with Audi Mazda etc etc Blumquist has gotten recent experience in the prototypes and now whole new team they beat the defending race winners uh, Ricky Taylor Philippe Albuquerque Alexander Rossi Will Stevens by just over three seconds they had a late restart there 
to close up the field. Uh, four cars were on the lead lap. The number five of Tristan Vautier, Richard Westbrook, Loic Duval, and, and uh, Ben Keating, who did all of his running on Saturday afternoon and evening to get his minimum drive time to get credit since he was driving in two cars, gets a podium. He was trying to win uh, Rolexes in two classes, and uh, they ended up uh, being, he, was, he ended up pretty close. Uh, Pippo Durrani, Tristan Nunez, Mike Conway in the number 31 wheel and engineering car finished fourth overall. And uh, so the defending champion Nunez making his debut with the team. Eric Lux, Devlin Francesco, and of course the two guys everybody knows, Pat O'Ward and the guy who finished the race, Colton Herta, made a pass on the number 29 uh, racing one Nederland car. Fritz von Erd, Guido Vandergarda, Dylan Murray, and uh, Renus VK to win the LMP2 class. And uh, the third place finisher was the eight car of John Ferrano, Louis Delatraz, Rui Pinto, and Ferdinand Habsburg. Uh, the 52 PR1 Matheson car finished uh, fourth in class. So third in, in DP in the DPI and fourth in LMP2 for Ben Keating, a uh, competitive, uh, nice day. I mean, to be involved in two cars that finish in the top 10 in the Rolex 24, that I'm not sure how many times that's really ever happened. Um, uh, Josh mentioned he saw the number 68 in the in the garage. They ended up uh, finishing ninth overall. Now, Rene Rast, who has, who's an Audi, former Audi guy, uh, Ed Jones, former IndyCar driver. And then 10th place was the number 22 uh, United Autosport team of uh, Guy Smith, Phil Hansen, Will Owen, Jim McGuire. Uh, that's, uh, of course, um, Zach Brown's other team. Uh, everybody knows Zach Brown for McLaren, but this is his other team. Uh, the 48 car, as uh, Josh talked about, finished 11th in, you know, with Rockefeller, Kamui Kobayashi, Jose Maria Lopez, and, of course, Jim Johnson. Uh, tw- the and then the first Ganassi Carl Earl Bamba Alex Lynn Marcus Erickson and Kevin Magnuson. Uh, so they finished uh, fifth and sixth. And then the last new uh, car was the zero one who's running full season Ranger Van de Zanda, Sebastian Bourdais, Scott Dixon, and defending IndyCar champion Alex Pillow. In between the two Ganassi cars was the LMP3 winner of Gar Robinson, Felipe Fraga. Um, Michael Cooper, K. Van Burlo. So yeah, I mean, we're getting it in the and the and they won by a lap. That was probably the least competitive of the classes. All the the race came down to the end. There had to be a late pass in LMP2 DPI, late restart. LMP3 had a lap lead, but the 74. That's the Riley Motorsports team. We saw the the contact. For the GTD Pro category, Matt Campbell, Matthew Jaminet, Felipe Nazar in the FAF uh, plaid car uh, on beating the KCMG team with Lawrence Vantor, Patrick Pile, Dennis Olson, Alexander Imperatori. Um, that contact ends up leave, losing the KCMG team a place. The Ferrari number 62, the Risi Competizioni. Ferrari, Alex, Alessandro Perguidi, James Collado, Daniel Serra, David Rigon uh, finished second there. Uh, the uh, Lexus, the Pro Lexus with Hawksworth, Barnacote, and Kyle Kirkwood uh, finished 
was a fourth. And then fifth was the 15 WeatherTech Mercedes with Dirk Muller, Patrick Ossenheimer, and then Gumby. And then in GTD, the 16, uh, what is it, Wright Motorsports, Porsche, Ryan Hardwick, Zachary Robichon, Jan Halen. Hardwick and Halen are, I think, the full season. Yeah, they're the full season drivers. Robichon's the endurance driver. And they called in Richard Leitz, who's a former Porsche factory guy. So, I mean, that's one of the best lineups you can find in the GTD category. Um, second place was uh, the, the what is it, the Magnus Racing Aston of John Potter, Andy Lally, Spencer Pumpelli, and Johnny Adam. And third was a Mercedes. I forget what team they are. Uh, Mike Skeen, Guy Cosmo, Steve McAleer, and Scott Andrews, um, Guy Cosmo, who got let go from a team that ended up finishing well further behind them, which was an interesting backstory that was going on on social media. Uh, I'm trying to look for that team, actually, because I'm looking for one particular driver. But uh, yeah, Josh, I mean, this this race was really competitive. It was a good show. I mean, the accurate shows, it gives you the thing about the BOP, you know, how how it actually works. And I'm kind of curious, you know, once we get into the NASCAR stuff here in a moment, few moments, if that'll kind of translate because Jim France runs both of them. And if the Gen 7 car, if there will be some BOP between manufacturers, you know, even though it's kind of like the same car, even though there's aero, will there be BOP or will it be more like old school NASCAR where they're cutting off? Well, everybody has the same spoiler. Everyone has a certain, so it really won't be that way. But this is a great race and um, nice way to start uh, the 2022 year in full-on circuit racing. We had the Chili Bowl. Uh, Tanner Thorson won that. This race, though, I think, in a sense, is really the start of the year. And it had a world uh, commitment because we had WEC teams here on the LMP2 side. Uh, we had some involvement, GT, but really it was W the, the LMP2 category uh, was very healthy, um, very good field. and um, But in the end, Elio Castro Neves, Elio Castro Dash Neves gets another W um, in a big spot and now can say he has three or four Indy 500 rings and he has a Rolex watch to go with it. So uh, yeah, the two Rolex, Rolex watch, watches, right? Two Rolex, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right, because he did win with Wayne Taylor as well. So, yeah. but now with his full time team, and um, I think uh, uh, Michael Shank is still drinking as we speak um, on Wednesday evening when we're doing the show. So uh, I'm sure he's celebrating with um, whatever beer of choice that he likes. Um, and that was after uh, I remember him being on the NBC broadcast right when um, Elio had a cut tire early in the race and they lost a couple laps. But he had no fear, no issues. Like, oh, we're gonna, we'll be back, you know, with all the lap cars. The same thing happened with the ten car with Wayne Taylor. I think they were talking to Wayne Taylor or somebody. I think Alexander Rossi on the pit box, and then they came back too. So it's interesting how the rules work with the IMSA, and you know, even when you have those kind of situations, you're able to kind of recover. But the the days of the being able to last and make it last versus other teams doesn't exist anymore. You have to run it out the whole way. Uh, and it leads to great action, honestly, for 24 hours, not just for bits and pieces. 
Um, but it, I'm, I honestly, it kind of makes me look forward to next year when there's going to be even more manufacturers and more teams, uh, how that BOP will all land and how it'll be in regards to the GT, not just the, the, the new, what will be the GTP category in IMSA, what is now DPI will be GTP and, uh, gtd pro uh will will be next year for sure yeah it's a pretty interesting and really exciting race for sure and i you know i think with the accuracy, i think something that helped them was just the you talk about the balance of performance is just the the pace that they had especially uh in straight line speed you saw once they got off the onto the nascar portion of the racetrack um on both ends you know whether it was through turns two and onto the back stretch and then you know through three to the front stretch you could see the uh pace that they had compared to uh the cadillacs uh in that race and uh cadillac they tried to have a strategy uh where you know they would have i think they had less pit stops overall than uh the accuras but um they just didn't have the pace uh that both the 10 and the 60 had. And I think it's probably ended up being uh, the difference there for uh, those teams. And, um, you know, even the, in the middle of the race, you saw the zero one, the zero two, they both were uh, probably the class of the field uh, to start out. Um, and probably through the middle uh, portion of the race, you would have thought that those guys would have won, but then um, they ran into issues. Uh, the 48 ran into issues. Um, they, they got um, incident with the zero one in the, like, I think like at hour two of the race uh, or something like that, um, they made contact with uh, the left or right rear and the left front of uh, zero one with uh, Sebastian Bourdais driving. Uh, so that was the first uh, thing that happened to them. And then, um, you know, their, their car had issues and they, they probably ran too hard. I think for the 48, that's uh, one of the things that I picked up off the broadcast is they probably ran way too hard at the beginning. And then, car faded away. And then in the middle of the night, uh, Jimmy Johnson, uh, I think he spun out or something. And then, uh, they took damage on the, uh, uh, right rear suspension or something. And then they, you know, had to go back to the garage. They lost a bunch of laps. And then I think spun out later again, uh, in the middle of the night, but, um, that was kind of what derailed them, uh, in that one. Uh, but throughout, you know, the entire event, I mean, you see the, uh, differences in performance, but, uh, with, you know, each class and within class, but, um, still, um, it's pretty competitive. I mean, even for the Porsches, uh, at the end in GTD, uh, it came down to the final chicane and I mean, Rubin's racing, and that's, you know, what they say and everything. And, you know, with the way that ended, um, normally, you know, contact, you don't want to see that, but it was just good, hard racing. And you know, at the end, um, the, uh, drivers, you know, they, none of them, were frustrated. And of course, if you're on social media and you saw the post with uh, the two Porsches and um, you know, what they had to, you know, what they had to say about uh, that incident, um, especially with uh, Lauren's uh, Vantor, what um, his statement on social media is pretty graceful, uh, especially, you know, being able to uh, run pretty hard at the end and have a chance at winning in your class in, in uh, GTD. So, or in GTP, but just a overall a great event uh, to be at. And, um, you know, I think one thing I'll say from my experience is being able to pay attention to the race, uh, you know, when you're walking around and stuff, admittedly is kind of a little difficult. Um, I mean, I did have the uh, leaderboard on my phone, but, and, and they have the PA over the racetrack, but um, still um, sometimes it's hard to hear that and probably need to figure out a way, uh, you know, to get a radio uh, either through my phone, I guess, and just have like earplugs with headphones, I guess, or uh, maybe rent a radio or something like that. So you actually, you know, hear the announcers talk and everything. So you 
at least still have an idea of, um, you know, what's going on. Cause they, uh, there was, you know, sometimes I was still kind of lost on who was actually leading the race. And then you have to go check your phone and then, you know, figure out, okay, who's leading and then, um, try to find where they're at on the racetrack and then try to watch them for a bit, but, you know, um, great competition and, you know, looking forward to seeing the rest of the season here, uh, in IMSA, especially DPI always competitive. And then next year, once, um, they have the, uh, Le Mans, uh, I guess the new joint Le Mans class that they're going to have that can go compete in uh, Le Mans with um, WEC. That should be interesting as well. Yeah. The, what it'll be the, it'll be LMDH and DPIH or whatever the fuck it is. And then, or deep. Yeah. Whatever. I think that's what it is. And then in America, it'll be GTP. Uh, they had different nomenclature um, back in the day as well. I know that certain people were kind of like, oh, well, of course they're going to do that. But then there is a convergence. Uh, Lamar chicane, there will be a Daytona chicane at Lamar now. Uh, the first of the two Molson chicanes will be the Daytona chicane. Uh, so that will, that's, it's fine. The GTP name, and it's one of those things that's just iconic. Everyone thinks about it. It's what sports car racing is all about. I mean, uh, the cars were cool. They were fast. There's different teams all over, multiple manufacturers. So it's the same thing in the sense. And the cars and the drivers were some of the best drivers in the world. Um, you know, you think about Jeff Brabham and Davy Jones and Juan Manuel Fangio and PJ Jones, uh, not related, PJ Jones, Davy Jones, um, and others, uh, Chip Robinson from New Jersey. Um, amongst others back in the original GTP era and now this new GTP era coming uh, next year, the kind of drivers that we have, it's going to be great uh, to see what, what happens with that um, for the manufacturers that are going to be here full-time. There will be teams that will be kind of uh, flying in. I figure if they don't do Daytona, they'll, they might actually try to do It'll be interesting for them to try to do Sebring because they'll do a thousand miles at Sebring for the World Endurance Championship. And then they'll also, if they were to stick around for the 12 hours of Sebring or run Sebring a couple days, the 12 hours the next few days later, but who knows? Um, we'll kind of see what happens with that next year. Uh, but uh, we should go into the clash. I mean, there's a lot of NASCAR stuff going on, but um, where what is going on for sure this weekend is um, the Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum. I consider it the Bushlight uh, Demo Derby at the Coliseum, uh, Josh. But um, you know, thirty-six cars, all the chartered cars, because they have to run based on the contracts they sign as part of the R whatever REC and charter agreements, and so that'll be that there'll be heat races there'll be practice early in the morning on saturday uh west coast time so it'll be like 9 30 to what is it 12 30 it looks like or no 9 30 to 11 30 and then they'll have qualifying at five in the after five in the evening on saturday the heat races will take place 12 noon on sunday on east coast time no that's all west coast time oh no this yeah. is Oh, this is all East Coast time. Okay. 9.30 yeah, to 11.30, 5 o'clock, and then 12. Okay, yeah. Yeah, East Coast so. is 12.30, 2 p.m. or 2.30 yeah. Saturday, then 8 p.m. on FS1 qualifying Saturday, and then heat races, 3 p.m. ET uh, 
last chance qualifying races. And then I think the race itself begins at uh, 6 p.m. ET on Sunday. Yeah, it's Eastern. Yeah, 6 p. Eastern time. So you'll get a you'll get a prime time on Fox itself uh, here on the East Coast. So 36 cars in this race. We'll get to see a lot of um, we'll see the new paint schemes. We'll see the new teams out there. A lot of things to look at um, this coming weekend, uh, Josh. Uh, I don't. I mean, what? How do we really? It's hard to think of. It's hard to talk about what's going to happen. I mean, you have a quarter mile short track that nobody has seen outside of a sim. Uh, you have a car that generally has not been run on a track like this outside of you know three legends driving the car at bowman gray a test mules at bowman gray and smoke Junebug, and i think bobby labani yeah so so you know that there's a lot and and you also have to add the fact that a lot of these teams don't have a lot of parts so is this just going to be a you know a basically a processional deal or are people really going to go hard at this i mean that's what i wonder honestly um looking at this race i mean there are teams i know new teams i want to show out well i know that kurt bush which is likely going to be his final year but who knows um kurt bush has been employed by like about half of nascar he might he might decide to continue going um i mean if tom brady retired though i mean I, it means that even that i mean for that to happen you i i wonder so yeah. i mean it's a interesting uh deal with especially with the car count and well the car count is okay but everybody's worried about the parts stuff and it's kind of similar with how you know back in 2013 we had the gen six car debut and they tore up so many cars at daytona i mean look at carl edwards you know famously went through like nine cars uh during speed weeks that year um and this this time around it seems like there's a total parts shortage and sure you know has stuff to do with the supply chain issues you know we're currently going through um or have been going through uh you know during during the pandemic and then also uh everybody's kind of you know hasn't had a lot of track time uh on this type of configuration, you right. We've only seen Dale Jr. test, Tony Stewart, and I think it was Clint Boyer, not Bobby Levante, but uh, they all tested at Bowman Gray. My fault. So yeah, yeah no, two legends fine. and a dope. All right. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah, but um, yeah, two legends and a, a jokester or whatever. But I mean, the the racing itself it could be similar to what we've seen at Bowman Gray, just on the configuration alone. But I mean, the cars are radically different. I mean, these, these cars are basically like if we cast classify stock cars as a full body car with a roll cage that has, uh, and the formula has been, uh, solid axle, solid rear axle suspension. Uh, and I mean the engines and everything like that, but the, that's basically been the stock car class, like forever, at least, you know, like going all the way back uh, to the beginning, it's all been based on kind of a common template and now the cup series is kind of throwing away everything and uh starting over i mean they're still obviously keeping the roll cage but they're in taking elements uh from other series like you know sports car racing like supercars in australia they're bringing in independent rear suspension uh you know they're bringing in rear diffusers and uh the the rims are or you know the wheels are going to be a lot larger um they're you know single wheel nut um 
uh, or tires or wheels or whatever. So it's, it's going to be a interesting uh, change and or you know huge change from what we've seen in the past. So these cars are probably going to race. I mean, they could race a lot differently than you know what we would normally see from a short track race. And um, you know we may see guys uh, drive conservatively because of the part shortage and. Uh, then again, they could, uh, because, you know, they know that they have to put on a show, they could race uh, a lot harder. And, and, you know, if they take damage, how much damage are they going to take? And is it fixable uh, in time, you know, to prepare for Daytona and, and other races down the line? I saw a thing on motorsport, I guess one of the executives from Toyota believes that because the speeds are going to be uh, slow enough, I guess, around 80 miles average, uh, miles an hour average, um, that we shouldn't see too much damage. But it doesn't take much to, you know, damage a car in, you know, any respect or any aspect. So it's, it's going to be interesting if, you know, they, they can race closely together and uh, put on a good show without crashing, or is it going to turn into a demolition derby? Um, like we've seen at a lot of these uh, short track races, a lot of, and really a lot of NASCAR races in general, you know, especially uh, big races like this end up turning into demo derbies. And, uh, you know, we don't want to see that, but, you know, at the same time, just, uh, be able to race each other, uh, without, um, needing to worry about clean air or anything like that. Uh, especially on this configuration, you're not, not really going to run into, um, aerodynamic issues, but at the same time, um, what I'm interested in is, are they going to be able to race closely together, uh, and be able to sustain that for long periods of time, you know, not just like the first two or three laps after a restart, but, you know, well within, um, you know, 20 laps into a run or 30 laps into, a a tire run green flag conditions. Can we see close racing, especially among the leaders? That's kind of what I'm looking for in this race. Yeah. And that's, I, you know, I wonder about the diffusers. I also wonder about the front ends of these cars. Um, I don't, I kind of feel like it is going to be a demo derby uh, when they announce this. I just, and it seems like a very idiotic, uh, idea to debut a brand new car, albeit, you know, debuting a brand new car at Daytona where for, I don't know how many years they've, you know, they've yard sailed vehicles for, I don't know how many years at Daytona with all the different rules packages they've had there. So it is logical of today's NASCAR that you're going to go and have your first two races at a quarter mile short track, which is essentially wannabe Bowman gray and then Daytona to go and debut a new car. And with the costs and all the stuff, but eh, you know, that's NASCAR for you. I mean, some of the changes you will see uh, this weekend, of course, Ross Chastain drove in the 42 car last year for Ganassi. He has essentially stayed, but now they're track house racing and he's going to go from the 42 to the one. Uh, uh, Gumby Sindrick will now be the driver of the number two Penske racing Ford Freightliner will be on the car this weekend. And, you know, we got those guys or whatever. Defending series champion Kyle Larson, of course, with HendrickCars.com. Brad Keselowski driving his own number six uh, for RFK Racing. And they'll have purple, whatever the hell that sponsor was that... Uh, Purple um, defense. Purple defense um, that will be on the car. Matt McCall, a lot of the number one Ganassi team, which was with Kurt Busch, moved over to the RFK number six. Go through some of these other drivers. Blickensdurfer moved over from the 34 to Eric Almirola's 10. Eric Almirola, of course, in his last year, a uh, full-time year of driving. 
And um, as a Blaney, we'll have Jonathan Hassler making his debut as a crew chief for the 12th. Chase Briscoe will have a sponsorship from his major, new major partner, Mahindra Tractors. Ryan Priest, who's a Stuart Haas racing driver. A contracted driver will be running for Rick Ware Racing, who has a Stuart Haas racing partnership um, in one of the two full-time cars that they will have uh, with their charters. AJ Adderall-Mendinger will be driving the number 16. It'll be a combination of drivers there. Uh, Scott Graves, Chris Fisher, I think they were saying. So Kyle Busch has Seth Chavka as his crew chief, making his debut here uh, this weekend. Um, Harrison Burton making his Cup Series debut in the Wood Brothers 21, with Brian Wilson moving over from the Xfinity Series to the Cup Series. Booty Barker, of course, was announced full-time as the crew chief of Bubba Wallace's 23 car, uh, so that's, of course, official there. Justin Haley making uh, his official full-time debut to Cup, but Trent Owens, who's been in Cup, Xfinity, he was with the 43 car, he's been with a few places. Uh, family story is very interesting, too. He's a cool guy, one of the best one unsung crew chiefs in the sport. So that's a good combination. I think they'll be there. Um, McDowell gets um, Caitlin Vincey's husband, longtime car chief for Martin Truex Jr., Blake Harris, to be his crew chief. Todd Gillen makes his Cup Series debut. Uh, rookie running course for rookie of the year um, with Harrison Burton there um, <clears throat> in the 38 car. And then the Petty GMS team, which will uh, have uh, Ty Dillon returning to the Cup Series with new crew chief uh, for Cup and in general, Joey Cohen. Dave Ellens moves from uh, Gagson's number nine to move up to Cup with Eric Jones. Uh, they'll have focus factor on the car there. Kurt Busch goes to 2311 to drive a Toyota now. So I think he's driven every manufacturer that has existed since the year 2001 in the Cup Series. Uh, Billy Scott, law, former crew chief for him on the 41 when he was at Stuart Haas, comes back and he will be the crew chief on the 45. Uh, let's see, Cody Ware is committed to running full season cup this year instead of doing whatever the hell he was doing all last year. Lanny Castle will be in the number 77 uh, Spire car, which will be a revolving door. Uh, I forget which guy it is that um, that has already announced multiple races uh, to drive in the 77 car. Uh, he's a random. <clears throat> I don't remember who that is either. Josh Balicki. Yeah, oh, that's, that's correct. Yeah, he's a random. So, uh, yeah, so Josh Balicki will be in a car. There'll be a bunch of people in that car. Landon Castle, of course, has a crypto, Voyager crypto sponsorship that he'll be leveraging, mostly uh, driving the uh, number 10 for college racing in the Xfinity series this year. So that'll be cool. And uh, BJ McLeod, of course, with his team, Live Fast Motorsports, and uh, Daniel Suarez, um, Travis Mack, that whole uh, group will be back. I mean, I would... It would be, uh, I mean, I guess we should make picks. Um, I'll go because I'm theoretically the uh, co-host today. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with uh, Kyle Busch. Um, I, I don't know why, uh, but I'm going to go with Kyle Busch. I figure a Toyota is going to win this race. So I'm going to go with the Toyota winning this race. You're going to go with the best driver that has a Toyota and it's Kyle Busch. Um, what I 
would like to see, of course, is either Briscoe or Keselowski um, come through. Uh, but, you know, I think Briscoe and Ke- especially Keselowski, I think Keselowski cares more about trying to win in a couple weeks' time with the big one because that's the only thing that's missing basically from his resume other than having another championship is winning the 500. If he wins a 500, I mean, he's guaranteed. I mean, he already was a Hall of Famer, uh, but if he wins a 500 in his first full, like first, like regular season race as a car owner, I mean, that's that's just box office. You're not going to be able, that's a big deal. Um, but I, I figure Kyle Busch, um, I'm not sure really what the heck's going to happen. I'm hoping there isn't widespread carnage. I don't want to see that, to be fair. I know there's a lot of people that are going to go to that race that are hoping for it, and a lot of people are going to watch that are hoping for it, um, because I'd feel bad for the guys guys and girls that have to work on these cars, um, knowing the time crunch and parts crunch there is going for the Daytona Speed Week coming up. Um, that's that's my real concern, but I I'll go Kyle Busch uh, in this spot. Yeah, it's a I mean solid pick there. Kyle's you know got to feel like especially this year, um, coming off of the way he ended last year, you know he probably has got a bit of a chip on his shoulder there. So that's a you know solid pick, and I think for me I'll go with the other Kyle in the field. California native uh, Kyle Larson and go pick him to win the clash. Uh, and he's not, young I mean, money. He wins everything. Not his hometown, but you know, yeah, he's young money, but it's not his hometown, but his home state and certainly California boy winning in uh, LA Coliseum sure would be something. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, Hendricks probably got something to prove, especially with uh, the short tracks. You know, they weren't, they weren't as great as Toyota's on the short tracks, even though they ended up winning the championship, but you know, they probably want to come out strong and certainly have a good debut uh, with this car. So I look you know, for Kyle Larson uh, to win uh, this one. So, you know, hopefully that ends up being the case, but yeah, I normally, you know, for this, I forgot about the algorithm, you know, it's been so long since we've done it and everything. So uh, maybe, I mean, it would be for this race that probably would be appropriate, but yeah, it would save it for, you know, Daytona and uh, all the other races uh, throughout uh, the rest of the year uh, where we feel it's appropriate and uh, we feel like it could be a random or uh, we don't really care. So um, that should be interesting to uh, see later on, but I'm picking Kyle Larson. Yeah, it would have. this actually would have been a good spot to use the algorithm because honestly, who really knows what the hell is going to happen? I mean, how 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 hard would it be for you to actually? Run it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, I'll, let's do let it. Let me run it quick, quick right now. Let me see which one. So, yes, okay, it'll be here in a second. I just gotta. All right, so copy. Yeah, so 2022, <laughs> 2022 uh, season, we have the algorithm. The Josh slash GSP algorithm is back in play uh, before we get into the NFL conference championship and the coaching nonsense uh, that is going on uh, as well. Uh, Plenty to talk about here on the GSP as we go on through the rest of the episode. Um, Plenty of news and highlights and key topics across the world of motorsports and sports to be fair, but the right. algorithm, let me yes. do this and control V 38. That is Todd uh, Gillen, Todd Gillen. We're picking. Yeah. That, the algorithm that, says Todd Gillen, <laughs> Todd Gillen. So, okay. So we have Kyle Bush, Kyle Larson, Todd Gillen. Now yep. I wonder what Todd Gillen's odds now, 
or uh, uh, I have to look at you know so Bush Clash odds yeah betting odds for the Clash at the Coliseum. I mean he's probably uh, in the field, right? He's not any of the main ones. Yeah, and I mean he's a thousand to one probably. <laughs> All right, I mean, well, let's see. Well, I, I'm I'm assuming he's a thousand to one, but I just scrolled down. Okay. So is it based on number? Like it's Atlantic Castle, VJ McLeod. Oh no, he's 501. Okay. 501 based on the NASCAR.com thing. Let me see over here. Two days ago, DraftKings Nation opening odds. Uh, have to go. Yeah. So yeah, five. What is it? Five. The 50,000 plus 50,000. So that means it is what 500 to one. Is that how that works? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it would be six to one. You get rid of the zeros. Yeah. Martin Truex. They say Martin Truex, Denny Hamlin are six to one. Chase Elliott, six and a half to one. Kyle Bush is seven and a half to one. Kyle Larson's eight to one. Okay. So we picked, we hedged pretty good. Three Toyotas are in the top four. Three Gibbs guys are in the top four. Two Hendrick guys are in the top six. The two people, yeah, so the three, six, yeah. The one person that isn't a Gibbs or a Hendrick guy is Joey Logano. So the person that actually has decent odds that you actually can get a good return on, the first one is Ryan Blaney, the new crew chief. Brad Keselowski is very... Um, his odds are relatively low considering he's in a um, brand new situation, brand new everything. His odds are the same as Kevin Harvick, Alex Bowman. So, and of course, Harvick and Bowman have continuity going for them. So that's interesting on that front. Yeah. But we will see um, if Todd Gillen does win. We did pick Tate Fogelman. You did yeah, pick Tate I picked Fogelman. it. No, it you. picked Tate Fogelman, not not me. I, well, I made up the thing that you made Tate up Fogelman. the algorithm. <laughs> to, we we name it Josh slash GSP algorithm picked Tate Fogelman to win. We didn't expect him to go and um, uh, he, yeah, he wrecked the field. He 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 to go and send John Hunter. Uh, but you know, I mean, it's his dad. He comes from a short track family. He knew he wasn't going to ever get a chance ever to get that close to winning a race again. And he went and sent F and John Hunter and it could happen. Todd yeah. Dillon could get into the main event and he could go and send somebody. He yeah, could I send mean, one of the Kyles and, uh, win the race and we'd, we'd still be good. That would be, yeah, something. it's definitely, you know, be something. And yeah, I think especially with betting i guess because like i don't know about you but like for me like i'm pretty sure DraftKings and like all the other you know betting apps that have come in i mean we'll get into it in a minute especially with the flores situation because there's a, a tie into betting there but um i'm still not able to i guess right now like i can't download i mean i have DraftKings, i think on my phone but i mean based on my address like i'm not allowed to place any bets or anything because they haven't legalized um i guess online gambling um, in Florida, you know, with, really? In Florida, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. And I mean, right now, I I see commercials online or you know on TV for like um, anti gambling, like don't let the gambling companies take advantage of Florida or whatever stuff like that. But I mean, I figure, yeah. I mean, you're in New Jersey, so I mean, you open up. Um, I mean, DraftKings, Barcelona's on there too, and some other draft or um, betting apps. So we pick any of one of those apps and go and uh, make a pick uh, for the clash, and and you probably uh, get some 
a decent amount of cash probably. And, you know, if you're feeling it, put Tate or not Tate, but put Todd Gillen in there and maybe <laughs> win some for cash. For, for the yeah. I, it's, it's making, yeah. I'm, I haven't been on there in a while, but I'm kind of feeling like I want to go at 50 to one or 500, 500 to one. I'll, 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 I'll take, I'll take that for, I mean, I'm pretty sure Chase Briscoe's odds are, are close enough to that. So I would probably put a couple bucks on uh, those guys. Uh, New York just legalized it, so I mean, Florida's on the way. Everyone's going to legalize it. It, it. It's it's a way to you know get some more revenues for for these badly run states. And most states are run badly anyway, but it's a way to get revenue because of all the degenerates that like to bet. Um, and uh, so yeah, I say that is. as somebody who who's like dead money in bowling pools, even yeah. though I, you know, after last night, you know, like I didn't put in money for the bowling pools, um, but I would have been at least in the mix, but I still wouldn't have won. So um, yeah. I was gambling pre during the pandemic because of, you know, some of the great um, perks that came with it, even though I got like over work, but that's beside the point. Yeah. Um, we'll get into yeah. the NFL, I guess, but I mean, for me gambling, like, I mean, I may not have DraftKings or any of those apps, but I do have the stock market and that's a casino in itself. So <laughs> yeah, but yep. we'll get into it with, uh, the, uh, NFL conference championship games. And I mean, we'll start off with Bengals and chiefs, um, going into that game, it was hard to pick between the two teams because both of them offensive juggernauts and we saw go down to the wire with uh, the Bengals and Chiefs back in week 17. But this game started out, the Chiefs got out to a big lead, uh, 21 to uh, zero at the start. And then I think seven uh, by halftime. And for the Chiefs, I think the, you know, they, they, they got out to a big lead, but then they had a chance to at least take a field goal going into halftime to bring it up by more than three scores. And uh, I, I think that, you know, they overthought their situation, their strategy in the end zone. I think when you get to a chance and, when you can kick a field goal, uh, you got to do it. And the same thing kind of happened at the end of the game because they uh, had a chance to at least uh, tie the game with a field goal. Uh, but then uh, they they were playing to run out the clock at the end. Uh, but then uh, they didn't do that, and they you know they ran the clock out uh, and then kicked the field goal. But I mean, am I like what I'm trying to say is like for me, like if I'm playing football or you know playing a, a football video game like Madden, like if I'm in a situation like that, I want to make sure that the winning field goal is going to take the lead rather than tie the game because then, you know, if you take the lead uh, and there's no time left, then you win the game and you can walk off the field, you know, walk off field goal. But uh, in this situation, you know, just go for the score and uh, take, you know, make them have to come back or have to, you know, throw a Hail Mary that, that will probably fail or, or something like that. And then you've won the game. But on the other hand, you know, you had Joe Burrow come back and make some really good plays in the second half, really carry the uh, Cincinnati Bengals uh, to the Super Bowl. And he's able to do it with his you know, persona, his Joe Cool personality. Uh, he's going to be smoking cigars uh, again. And I actually, speaking of betting, I put $50 on the Bengals with a friend. Uh, it's a friendly bet. So there's no, uh, you know, odds or anything like that. We're just straight, you know, betting $50 on each other. So uh, we'll see how that goes, but uh, he'll be hopefully smoking cigars in the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll see if it happens or after the Super Bowl, but Joe Cool uh, willing the uh, Cincinnati Bengals uh, to the uh, over the Kansas City Chiefs to the Super Bowl. So uh, I don't know what you had any thoughts on that game and anything uh, from from that. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about that game first before you get in 49ers. Yeah, I mean, 
to see my party that I had on uh, Sunday was taking place during the AFC Championship game and uh, was you seeing Kansas City get out early. Kind of got concerned about that because Mahomes is a front runner, of course. But I, you know, I I felt like this game would end up being competitive uh, because of Joe Burrow, and he proved me right on that one. Um, I mean, I'm I'm just bringing up uh, what, yeah, so yeah, eighteen points, yeah, eighteen point. Rally. I mean, the, I, I mean, one thing I take away is the fact that Evan McPherson's probably the best kicker in the league. Um, he's proven that so far in this playoffs. I mean, who knows? He could get Norwooded here in the Super Bowl, and it could all go to hell. But um, that he has been so clutch, and so is Joe Burrow. Um, the reality is, um, you know, 250, two touch, two and one, you know, two touchdowns, one interception to go and come back from 21 to three down at Arrowhead. It's like the only other guy recently, of course, is Brady. Um, we're going to talk about him and his now of retirement, but Joe Burrow going in, in them and in the, in the Cincinnati Bengals beating Kansas City Chiefs twice in like six weeks. The way that the Kansas City Chiefs have been going for the last two, three years, for any team to be able to get to them twice in six weeks is something, let alone a team that has mediocre offensive line and their defense is decimated, especially in the interior. Um, but their back end, at least in the safeties role, uh, is very, very good. Jesse Bates, of course, one of the best unsung guys there is. Um, you know, the... Yeah, I mean, I, I said, talked about the offensive line. I mean, the, they were able to hold up against Kansas City. They got killed by Tennessee, still won, only sacked once, Burrow. If they can do a similar thing on, uh, you know, who the defensive line they're going to be facing here next week um, with a specific player, uh, number 99, that will be big uh, if they can keep them upright. If they keep Joe Burrow upright, it's going to be hard to stop him because he's able to spread the ball around. Um, you know, running game was good. You know, 100 yards for T. Higgins. Jamar Chase got a tutty. It, that, that, you know, and then the Kansas City Chiefs did what they did. They went to their biggest biggest players. They went to Kelsey Hill and, you know, Mecole Hardman. They drafted him to try to replace Tyree Kill because he's a woman beater. Um, but they didn't press charges or whatever. So, you know, the Patrick Mahomes in the end uh, didn't have the best uh, end of the season. He had kind of a rough year at times. And, you know, he is one of the best players in the league. That isn't going to go away. He's box office, even if his wife is annoying and his stupid brother is an idiot and a waste. Um, that's not going to go away. Andrew Ryad um, is not going away. Um, looks like Eric Bieniemy is going to continue to be the offensive coordinator there um, because they won't hire black coaches. Um, but I also think he's going to end up getting the job. I think that's probably where we'll get into another topic here in regards to coaching carousel. But that game was, I mean, it was to watch Cincinnati win, I'm like, that's awesome. I didn't really want to watch Patrick Mahomes get to another Super Bowl, so we have to hear everybody slobbering on him, on Kermit the Frog making a Super Bowl. So uh, it's good. 
to see a team make the Super Bowl first time in in thirty. 33 Four years year, 33 years i mean that's that's good uh cincinnati they haven't had a championship since 90 in the world series um paul o'neill was on that team with the cincinnati reds and uh, they beat the big the bash brothers the roid brothers of uh, uh ken seiko and mcguire and the oakland a's back at that time and lou Pinello was the manager of that team yeah any, that was any a... no go ahead yeah yeah, you're good. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that, I mean, that game, I mean, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals, like people were talking about the um, previous week with Kansas City and uh, Buffalo. They went to overtime and then Buffalo didn't have a chance to get the ball back. Uh, but then, of course, this week uh, they went to overtime again and they're like, oh, the Chiefs got the ball to start overtime. They're going to win the game. And they, they didn't. They turned the ball over. Patrick Mahomes threw a pick uh, and then uh, Cincinnati was able to return uh, the pick. And then they went on offense and kicked the field goal. Evan McPherson, of course, Gator great uh, going there and going out and kicking a field goal uh, to win the game for the Bengals. So, I mean, point there is just like, you know, people talk last week like, oh, Teams should get uh, NFL, uh, you know, change the NFL overtime rules so that everybody gets a fair shot at uh, getting a touchdown. And it's like, no, just play defense. And it's exactly what happened uh, on Sunday. The Cincinnati Bengals, they went executed on defense in the second half, limited them to three points uh, total in the second half. And then uh, they shut them down in, in overtime. And that's what ended up happening. You know, you just play defense. You know, that's what you got to do in overtime. There's no need for uh, guaranteed possessions, uh, in my opinion, in the NFL. And then also, of course, the Cincinnati, you know, being able to go to the uh, Super Bowl first time, you know, if, if they win, there's a there's been a meme going around or I guess a TikTok like MJF from uh, AEW says he just went on like an anti-Cincinnati rant at their show in Cincinnati. He was like, he called everything in Cincinnati mid. He said Cincinnati uh, Chili mid or yeah, Skyline Chili mid Cincinnati Reds mid. You haven't won a uh World Series since uh, like 1970s or whatever, you know, Cincinnati is ma 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 mid, I think is how it goes. So um, if they win the Super Bowl, can't really say that Cincinnati is mid anymore. Yeah, that's, I think Joe Burrow is going to go and change that narrative. I mean, 1990 to now, yeah, it's a long time, but um, Joe Burrow is uh, the truth. In the end, uh, it should have been Buffalo and Cincinnati. I think it would be an even better game um, for my boy, Professor Jay. I think Buffalo would have won that game too. So um, the ideal Super Bowl for me as a fan could have possibly happened if uh, the other game had went a certain way. But you can go and uh, get in on that first. Yeah, we'll get into that now with uh, the course. I've been trying to manifest it and we'll get into that. The uh, San Francisco 49ers uh, made it to the NF NFC championship game. Been trying to say that they had go to the Super Bowl. They played the LA Rams in Los Angeles. Uh, looked good, uh, you know, for most of the game. Uh, it was a tough, tough scoring game, a lot of defense. Uh, the San Francisco uh, defense held the uh, offense of the Los Angeles Rams in check, and they were able to, uh, you know, keep them out of the end zone for most of the game, but they were still able to get touchdowns to Cooper uh, Cup. They got a field goal, and it was tied 
uh, 17-17 uh, in the fourth quarter. And then Jimmy Garoppolo uh, couldn't do it anymore and threw a pick. I mean, he was under pressure anyways. He was just trying to get rid of the ball and then uh, threw a pick uh, and that was tipped off of his running back and got intercepted. And then that was over for the 49ers. But the game itself, um, I mean, Debo Samuel basically carried them for a lot of that game, uh, got the first touchdown of that uh, game to open it, uh, the scoring and it was looking like it was going to be the 49ers even through the the fourth quarter they had a, a 17 to 7 lead 10 points uh it's, it seems to be a reoccurring theme for the, the 49ers because they had a, a 10 point lead in the Super Bowl two years ago, and then they failed to uh, close that one out. Kyle Shanahan, of course, failing to close out another game, you know, failing to close out the Super Bowl in 2016, Super Bowl 50 or you know, Super Bowl 51, uh, failed to close out that game. And then, you know, the 10 point lead in a championship game brings me back to the 2017 18 Jaguars where they faced uh, Tom Brady uh, and the Patriots in the fourth quarter and had a 20 to 10 lead there. And then uh, that lead uh, evaporated and then they lost that game. And unfortunately, you know, Blake Bortles wasn't able to uh, make the the passes to keep them uh, in the game to win it. And, you know, they ended up losing because they couldn't generate offense. And that's pretty much what happened. The uh, 49ers had pretty good defense for the most part, but then um, they were still able to, um, get scored on by Cooper cup and Matt Stafford, but then uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, they had a chance uh, in the fourth quarter. It was fourth and two on the 45 of the LA Rams. And they had a chance there uh, to try and go for it, but uh, they didn't. And then they punted. And I feel like in that situation with the amount of time o'clock that they had left, they should have tried to go for the, um, the first down and then, you know, keep the ball away from Matt Stafford and the, and the Rams. Cause um, I mean, when you get to that point in the game, it begins to feel like, well, they may, uh, they may get the winning score and then you have to go out and get a field goal uh, for uh, the you know 49ers. And I think um, just uh, the, the way that they coached in the fourth quarter offensively, um, they didn't do enough, I think, to win the game, especially on that uh, final drive, not the final drive, but the, the drive where they had to punt on fourth and two. They they decided to motion Trent Williams, who was on a grade two high ankle sprain, uh, and then they handed the ball off up the middle and got stuffed. And they didn't really have much of a running game all, all game and uh, for the 49ers. Uh, that's been their strength, but they got held in check. And Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, he has his one or two good drives, but then you know, over overall, he was pretty mediocre in that game. And then it's most likely going to be his last game as 49er. He'll get traded, and then Trey Lance will assume the role as a starter for the 49ers. But you know, Philip been wanting to hear what you have to think about this game, all the emotion, you know, let it uh, the frustration, you know, wash away here and let us know what you think. I mean, it to be honest, Josh, it's it's funny that bowling party that I was talking about during the uh, AFC championship game uh, filtered and flew flowed into the NFC championship game because Bolero and their um, infinite wisdom doesn't know how to run parties. Though, considering how much money I've spent on parties there for the last two years, uh, probably you could say, oh, well, Phil, you don't, your money is not well spent, or you can come up and then, well, fuck you. Um, everybody that came to my party had a great time. It had less to do with uh, uh, them and more to do with the amount of um, the food, booze, and the fact that we were able to go and sit there for as long as we wanted because we spoke our minds um, in regards to that. Um, I bowled 191. Um, somebody, uh, there's another person there uh, that we bowl with. Uh, she bowled 248, 204 on the burn. And I'm like, okay, of course. 
you have to go and take the take the shine off the birthday boy, but whatever. Um, let's just say the birthday boy is working on that. Um, in regards to the NFC Championship game, you know, it was a close game for a lot of it. LA Rams actually played a lot better this time than they have the last six times they played against the Niners. And the narrative, and I was worried about this. I, I just felt like the narrative was like, oh, they beat them six times in a row. What about a seventh? I'm like, at some point, it, that, that, that dam had to break. Um, they've been on borrowed time, the Niners, with their offense. A lot of this has just strictly been Debo Samuel and a pass here and there to Ayuk, a pass here and there to Jawan Jennings, a pass here and there to George Kittle, who's one of the best effing players in the NFL. Um, you have to be able to make good play calls. You have to be able to go and close games out. And Kyle Shanahan, I mean, whatever. You, the Atlanta Falcons thing now is whatever. You know, Dan Quinn is getting head coaching looks. So even though he's the head coach of that team that blew a 28-3 to lead, he's getting head coaching looks to possibly get a second shot at it. Um, Of course, I think he said he's coming back to the Dallas Cowboys, but, you know, the reality is he was getting head coaching looks like he's like a next big thing. The guy blew a twenty-eight to three lead, and after that, the team went in the help went in the went in with the tank. I mean, uh, Matt Ryan hasn't been the same ever since. Julio Jones hasn't been the same ever since. Anybody that was involved with that has been a cesspool. So what the fuck, um, Kyle Shanahan? That's not a way to go and leave a job. But he blew the super. He was part of blowing the Super Bowl with Jimmy, and he was part of blowing this game with Jimmy. Um, you knew at some point they were gonna. Th- Give it to Cooper. They always, that's all it is. Matthew Stafford literally does not know how to throw to anybody else other than fucking Cooper Cup. If they just double Cooper Cup, I would love to see how the hell the LA Rams would actually win the Super Bowl because they don't really run the ball that well. And they might, they did all right, you know, on Sunday, did enough. He doesn't really throw to anybody else. Tyler Higby got hurt. That's the other guy I think he sort of tries to go to. Don't really throw to Van Jefferson. There's no Robert Woods because of his ACL. What the hell would he do? D'Amico Ryans, you know, I've, I've been hard on him at times this year, but he's been recently, he's been outstanding. And uh, it wasn't the defense's fault. It wasn't the special team's fault, even though our special teams blows. Um, at least our coach does and our punter does. But uh, you, you got to finish that game. I heard the touchdown to GK. They actually got the ball to GK, so I was already happy about that, let alone he got a touchdown. I'm like, okay, 17-7, to 7, I think we can hold this. But you actually have to convert third downs. You have to act. The whole point of this is you're a quarterback in the NFL, third and shorts, third and medium, like, you know, reasonables. You have to convert them. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, God love him. He's an average quarterback. And at the end of the day, between Kyle Shanahan's play calling and Jimmy Garoppolo's effectiveness – um, it's average, and it's the reason why the Niners didn't win that Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They weren't able to keep the defense on their opposition's defense on the field. They weren't able to go and keep the ball out of the hands of a theoretically better quarterback. I mean, Matthew Stafford is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Is he that great? Not really. Um, but in the end, they're going to be at home playing the Super Bowl here next week. Second year in a row that's happened um, after it never happening before. It blows. I really didn't get to watch the end of the game. I only got to, I only heard the end of the game. Um, it just, it's, it's bittersweet. But in the end, a lot of what I take away from this game is we probably would have been in the same spot with Trey Lance. Uh, not, I mean, I mean, I think we would have been in a similar position to make the playoffs 
we may have not gotten to the NFC. I mean, I, I honestly believe a lot of what we did this year, the Niners, could have been done with Trey Lance, and we didn't have to worry about Jimmy Garoppolo. What has happened is Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to get the Niners' first-round draft pick um, from somebody uh, to quarterback their team. Uh, and if that's the case, they already got more value than what they had to give up for Jimmy Garoppolo. If they don't get that, they'll definitely get a second and they might get two seconds. And in the end, that's basically what they gave up. So then you get equal value, might get some money, con, con consideration, something. He did his job. Jimmy Garoppolo made the Niners relevant again as a quarterback when he was on the field. Problem was, he wasn't on the field for basically two years and the Niners sucked. Um, is that just because of him? Is it because of the way that things were managed between Shanny and Lynch? Who knows? Um, reality is the two years that he was actually on the field and for the few games he was on the field in 17, they generally won, but in big spots, Jimmy Garoppolo had a really hard time coming through or was generally non-existent, um, in those big spots. Trey Lance, I believe, and it's not my own personal fandom and bias, the dynamic aspect of Trey Lance makes me believe with Shanahan actually getting out of his ass. And then, of course, with Debo, with Ayuk, with with um, Eli Mitchell, with the possibility of a Raheem Mostert coming back, you know, GK, you can make something happen. You have the best left tackle in the league in Trent Williams. You have one of the best centers in the league in Alex Mack. Lakin Tomlinson is one of the most reliable left guards. So you already have three-fifths of that line ready. Yeah, the right side needs a little help, but you can do work. A lot of pieces are returning. The secondary, it seems like, might finally be in a position to compete. Yes, she got beat by Cooper Cup, but everybody got beat by Cooper Cup. In the grand scheme of things, it's possible that's what Cincinnati, the they Cincinnati might lose that way, but they're probably going to double him. Uh, I mean, I would if I if it was me, I would double him and and make it so that somebody else has to beat him make Matthew Stafford actually have to make some throws because he'll throw picks and if he throws picks uh then it'll be an intro it'll be a good Super Bowl for Cincinnati we'll get into that next week though Josh but um I was dealing with other stuff uh it was sad I was depressed um to get that close I know you got that close a couple years ago I mean getting to the Super Bowl and losing is even worse so I guess I don't have to deal with that. But getting that close, it's hard to get that far in general. Um, having the lead in the fourth quarter and shitting the bed really sucks. But there's a lot of positive things to build on going into 2022. Yeah, there's a you know a lot of things to build on for sure. A lot of you know positive takeaways. Um, it's not like it's over. You know, it's not like the Bucks like face unknowns now course with tom brady retiring but you have a future quarterback in uh trey lance who is more than capable enough of being able to you know be more than uh jimmy garoppolo and that's you know, one thing i i think of with the way quarterbacking in the nfl i guess is you have to have a, a quarterback who's able to be able to make the throws and go down the field uh i mean you saw down the stretch garoppolo beginning to struggle uh you know struggle and he wilted under pressure uh and i you know i feel like with other quarterbacks they're you know they're able to figure out, make something happen. I mean, you see it with Joe Burrow, you see it with uh, Patrick Mahomes, even uh, Matt Stafford, who was, looked like he was injured uh, for uh, most of that game too, uh, able to do something. And even other quarterbacks uh, in this league, like Russell Wilson and um, 
I mean, even Trevor Lawrence has been able to make stuff happen on his own, but I mean, we'll see what happens and in going into next year. Um, and hopefully, you know, they're able to continue uh, sustained success and they are able to make another run uh, potentially and you know, win the Super Bowl next year. But, you know, I mean, I know the feeling, of course, you know, 10 points in the fourth quarter, you know, you feel like it's going to happen, but then just slowly kind of just like, it, it, it's like, I don't know, uh, Chinese water torture or whatever, the water just slowly dripping on your face. And as, as the time goes down and then the other team takes the lead and then, you know, you kind of just like cringe, I guess, and internally, um, as the, you know, the team ends up losing the game, um, you know, it's a bad feeling to have, but, you know, of course, you know, we're, we're nothing without pain. So uh, I think, uh, you know, we'll certainly have uh, positive times ahead for the 49ers. But I mean, for me uh, in this game, uh, I mean, there is the Jaguars aspect. They, they traded for Jalen Ramsey two years ago. Uh, the, the Rams did and got Jalen Ramsey in exchange for two first round picks from the Jaguars that was two years ago that that happened now or over two years ago. And now Ramsey's going back to the Super Bowl. Now I guess he can say, you know, yeah, we're going to go win the Super Bowl and we're going to win that bitch, you know, with uh, the thing that he did back in the day uh, after they beat the Steelers in the playoffs and then uh, lost to New England uh, that year. But I mean, for the Jaguars, I mean, clearly now they've lost that trade because uh, they uh, drafted a linebacker uh, with the picks and then they drafted uh, Travis Etienne with the second pick, which could be good, but, uh, didn't need to pick a, a running back at that pick. And then they tried to draft CJ Henderson to replace, uh, Jalen Ramsey, but then they traded to him uh, a couple weeks into, uh, this past season. So, uh, that's, uh, I get reminded of that when I see that. And of course, you know, last year, uh, Leonard Fournette, um, uh, got cut by the Jaguars and then signed with bucks and then went, won the Super Bowl there. But, uh, uh, you know, good times are ahead, hopefully for both of our, our franchises uh, going into next season. But now we'll talk about the coaching carousel, of course, uh, in the NFL. I mean, we'll start off first with uh, Brian Flores uh, suing the National Football League and suing the New York Giants. I believe I think those are the two parties that uh, has filed the lawsuit against. And of course, um, basically the lawsuit is uh, not alleging, but, um, you know, filing for claims of racism, discrimination, and against uh, black coaches, black executives, and uh, listed incidents that he uh, had to deal with uh, in his uh, hiring um, experiences, uh, going to interviews. And I mean, of course, the uh, lawsuit you know, starts out citing all the statistics of uh, black coaches in, in the NFL and um, the history of uh, racism in the uh, NFL when it comes to uh, the executives and uh, just from you know, allowing, you know, integrating players and then also just the um, history of uh, black head coaches in the league and everything. And um, I, I mean, it's we'll see what the lawsuit, you know, how far does this go if they end up settling uh, or not. But I mean, the the storylines from, you know, the within it that, you know, Flores just on his own experience. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. You look at, um, you got a text from Bill Belichick uh, saying congrats. And then it was actually Bill Belichick being confused. And then it was actually meant to be going to Brian Dable uh, who got the job for the giants and then uh, found out basically on accident that he wasn't getting a job, but he still had to interview uh, with the giants and they basically were just trying to interview him to satisfy the Rooney rule, the uh, requirement that minority coaches have to be, at least one has to be interviewed uh, for uh, a team that's trying to hire a head coach or an executive. And then of course uh, the other 
remarkable thing I found was um, the Dolphins, when he was on Dolphins the first year, they wanted basically the owner, Stephen Ross, wanted the Dolphins or wanted Flores to uh, lose all the games basically, and he was going to pay him a hundred thousand uh, per game per loss. Uh, and, you know, wanted him to tank to get basically to the, no- the number one overall pick. And of course, Flores you know, has integrity and didn't want to do that. And they went out and won like six games, I believe, uh, and then ended up having like the uh, what sixth draft pick overall. And, but they went and still got Tua uh, instead of Joe Burrow, which I guess was a huge miscalculation. And they still had Justin Herbert on the, on the board too. So they could have just picked Justin Herbert and then maybe Brian Flores wouldn't have been fired because um, if you have a quarterback who's good and you have a good coach um, that can win you games, it should be a good pairing. But obviously that did not happen. Uh, and then there's also the conflict of interest because at the time uh, when this all went down, uh, when he made that request, it, I guess there is the other report that Stephen Ross was uh, partnering with uh, the Action Network or, or I guess like investing into it, which is a, another gambling uh, company, online sports betting company. And uh, that's obviously a huge conflict of interest and possibly opens up the league to uh, antitrust lawsuit of some kind, uh, especially with asking your coach to go out and lose games. I'll pay you X amount to go lose. And on the other hand, you're getting uh, you know some kind of return on investment uh, from your involvement with a, a gambling company. I mean, it's a huge uh uh, conflict of interest and uh, the antitrust aspect as well. And then, I mean, also, he also requested Flores to uh, meet up uh, with a prominent quarterback. And if you read between the lines, it's Brady uh, after the 20 or yeah, after the 2019 season, wanted to talk to Tom Brady, try to court him to go to the uh, Miami Dolphins. But of course, that was tampering. It was before the free agency period. Uh, and of course, that was illegal to do. And Flores wasn't willing to do that. So um, shows again integrity there. But I, I just think that all these instances that, you know, happened to him is pretty remarkable. And then of course there's the other incident that I, I read in the lawsuit that uh, he tried to interview with the Denver Broncos and the Broncos executives, including uh, John Elway and their GM were looked, uh, appeared to be uh, intoxicated or drunk or hungover or whatever. And uh, they went and interviewed him and looked like they clearly didn't care. And again, we're trying to satisfy the minority hiring rule and the Rooney rule and, uh, you know, if you, know, you go into that and, you know, you're not being treated with respect, it's like, it's really no point in being able to interview and does question how effective the rule is, which maybe it isn't and everything, but um, just to uh, shows, um, I mean, we'll see what comes out of it, me, but it just shows like on one hand, the remark, really remarkable ways that some of these uh, organizations are run. I mean, racism or not, like, I mean, look at like how all this went down. I mean, you just ignore take that out of the equation for a minute, just look at how some of these organizations are running. It's like, like, how do you have success uh, running an organization like that? The Broncos, they haven't won anything since Peyton Manning in 2016. The Dolphins, they've won nothing. They've been a joke for, you know, many years now. Uh, The Giants, basically, since Tom Coughlin left, you know, they've been poorly run as well. Uh, So, I mean, just those instances, I mean, just shows that, you know, how, how much of these teams are actually pretty incompetent. Yeah, it's that when I heard that Brian Flores got fired, uh, yeah, I'm like, are you kidding me? The Miami Dolphins, and but it's for it's interesting. It, it's all can the fact is when Brian Flores got fired, I'm like, how the hell do you fire the best coach you've had in probably Jimmy Johnson? I mean, you know, Shula, 
I wouldn't even argue Jimmy Johnson was a good coach. I mean, I mean, he he, yeah. he wasn't as good as he was at Dallas, but how do you compare yeah, being that good? And then you look at the fucking Cowgirls. Ever since they got rid of him, Barry Switzer took his players and won one Super Bowl, got thrown out of the other NFC Championship game and helped Steve and help my guy Steve Young get the monkey off his back. Uh and then they haven't been they they haven't been relevant as a football team uh, honestly uh, since 1996 but because of that hillbilly inbred piece of shit owner of theirs um they're still America's team um but they still choke when it counts and they've been choking for now what amounts to 25 years so um god bless them at least the Niners actually get to the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl, and we still have the same number as them. So, you know, Super Bowls, um, and we have the better quarterbacks too in in history. But the Flores firing made no sense to me outside of it being some petty bullshit. Uh, and in the end, we find out Stephen Ross. Of course, I mean Stephen Ross is an is an is an imbecile. I'm sure he's rich, but that's the whole point. Like you look at how many dumb fucks that are rich and he's another one. Um, and then telling him to tank, which was the thing like, Oh, Brian Flores taking a terrible job, which is a typical thing with African-American coaches. Um, they're given these horrible jobs told to do these terrible things. And when they don't want to do it because of principle, um, then they're ostracized and they're told they're say they're hard to work with. But then you get, you know, stereotypical white bread guy to go and coach. And they're given like two, three years to coach. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's 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 a hypocritical. But then you know he he talked about it. Flores talked about it as like plantation like. And Stephen Ross is an imbecile. They have like eighty five different owners, pieces people who have ownership of the team. Um, they don't have a direction. Their GM's an Uncle Tom. Um, the fact of the matter is, they're not going to win anything. Uh, they don't. They they were one in seven. They got to within two weeks left in the season of being in a playoff team, then shit the bed because Tua's not a good quarterback. But then Justin Herbert, who was the next pick, was in a position to possibly make the playoffs. Um, and then he shit the bed um, in the final game. But still, the fact of the matter is the LA Chargers were as poorly run as they are. They have more hope because they have a quarterback. The Dolphins don't have a quarterback. Prominent quarterback that's signed is code. It's like it's like the Al Michaels thing when when the OJ the the goof the prank OJ call happened on ABC. It's code for Tom Brady. Um, and if it isn't Tom Brady, it's probably Aaron Rodgers. I mean, who else? Those are the only two I can come up with. It's probably Tom Brady. Um, and he ended up going to a team in Florida anyway. So the Flores lawsuit has merit. He's going to get, you know, run over like Colin Kaepernick. Uh, but it's true. The Rooney rule does not work. Um, these owners will not give the time of day to a, a person of color coach, but they'll give random, like basically, oh, if you're a Sean McVay guy, okay, fine. We'll give you a job. Oh, you, oh, Aaron Rodgers co-signs on you. Oh, you deserve a job even though you're mediocre. His dad was a mediocrity as a coach, and then he's a mediocrity as a coach. But, oh, you're Aaron Rodgers' guy. He's like, Nathaniel Hackett to me is like 
Adam Gase 2.0. Um, he's going to end up being like Adam Gase, and that's going to look horrible in the grand scheme of things, but whatever. Kevin O'Connell, waste. Waste of a hire. Josh McDaniels, it's the Raiders, so whatever. Waste of a hire. Um, Houston doesn't have a coach because Houston's one of the worst run organizations in the league. Um, Miami's a terribly run organization. Now that Brian Dable's off the table, um, I don't know who they're going to get. And with all this stuff going on, I mean, who the hell wants to be there? But somebody's going to want that job. They're going to have somebody that's desperate. Um, Stephen Ross is almost like, has to go and give somebody of a, 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 a diversity candidate at least a sniff to make it look good. Um, you know, Minnesota, whatever, fuck them. And they're useless and irrelevant. Um, I'm trying to remember. New Orleans, of course, is open. They don't have a quarterback. They have a terrible cap situation. So that's going to be rough. Um, but they do have ownership and they do have Mickey Loomis there. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I have to bring up who Jacksonville. else is. And then, of course, Jacksonville, who you're going to mention. I'm going to leave that all to you. Um, I thought Byron Leftwich was there. It makes sense, even though um, they're poorly run, both at the ownership and the GM situation. But it's really the GM situation, which is probably driving that whole thing. Um, I dealt with that as a 49ers fan, um, which is why Jim Harbaugh is the coach of Michigan. Um and not still in the NFL and probably had won at least one Super Bowl many years ago so that I wouldn't have to drink as much um, to take in my fandom. And yeah, it's like Houston, New Orleans, Miami, and Jacksonville. And so you have two teams in the AFC South, uh, one or Houston, yeah, two in the AFC South, and then the, the Saints and the Dolphins that are left with Eberflus, who was hired by Chicago, another random hire. Uh, they went defense after being with offense uh, with Nagy. Um, they don't really need a defensive coach considering their defense wasn't horrible, but they weren't great either. Uh, they need a better roster build. They got a new GM, so that's a brand new situation there. Giants got their guy. Uh, they got the assistant GM from Buffalo, and so they got Dable. And, you know, my coworker at the school, who might be the biggest Giants fans I've ever met, she was completely in on that. So God bless her and that team. They have one of the worst rosters in the NFL. And it's going to take a lot uh, to turn them around. Their ownership, who knows what the hell they're really doing. But Dable is a good coach. Uh, their GM uh, helped with the rebuild. And, of course, they got Josh Allen, which makes up for a lot of the terribleness. They have going on over there. Uh, yeah, I mentioned um, Hackett, mentioned Josh McDaniels. I'm curious to see if you'll actually see this one through. Um, he didn't take the indie job, but he takes the Raiders job. I really don't get that. Uh, I mean, both owners are drunks and uh, probably, I mean, at least uh, uh, Ursa is, is, has some semblance of understanding of winning even though he's not when he isn't drunk and doing stupid shit. Uh, Mark Davis has no clue. Um, and that's why I don't understand that call. I mean, I get bailing off the ship at, in New England because it looks like I don't think Belichick's going to quit anytime soon. And I guess that's what he thought. He's like, he thought he was going to get the New England job. And then once he realized that Belichick's not going to quit anytime soon, he's like, okay, fine. I'm going to go and, and um, take a job. But taking the Raiders job? Really? 
why don't you actually have some balls and go take the Jacksonville job and 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 go and take Trevor Lawrence and prove that you're some great offensive mind? No, you go with Derek Carr. I mean, I like Derek Carr, but I don't get it. I don't know what the end game is there. You're going to tell me he's going to do that much better than Rich Bisaccia. They just made the playoffs. They backdoored into the playoffs, and they weren't out. Of, they were in that game against Cincinnati, who is now in the Super Bowl. I'm not saying Bisaccia would have been the head coach. They weren't going to keep him anyway, but what are you expecting Josh McDaniels to do with the Raiders? Really? I mean, the, the, the problem with the Raiders is they're left. It's just like how Al Davis lived. They were left in the 70s. Everything is like in the 70s. Every, all the greatness, like 70s, they did all the shit in the 70s. Then they had the flash and pizzazz, you know, Marcus Allen. They did or 82, yeah. It was all left in like the early 80s. They had Marcus Allen. They had Bo Jackson. You know, they even had Art Shell as a coach. But I don't know. They, and it, it also shows when you have very capable, uh, you know, diversity candidates, the likes of Leslie Frazier, the likes of Byron Lefwich. Um, Todd Bowles, um, D'Amico Ryans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're hiring token guys, guys who've already had a shot at it, guys who are just Sean McVay, Cucks, um, you know, Matt. I mean, the Matt Eberf- when I heard Matt Eberflus got the Bears job, I'm like, well, yeah, it's the Bears. Um, McClus- McCloskey or whatever the f- hell she is. She's like 180 years old. Uh, I mean... The fuck? They should just make Soldier Field the place where they're going to go and hold the all-star race next year. They used to have NASCAR cup races there anyway. So just go and make that place. I mean, it's a shithole. They don't they they have Justin Fields, but really, what the fuck? Um, I mean, that was just a waste. And uh, Kevin O'Connell's a waste. And um, I mean, maybe one of these guys proves me wrong and actually does something. But Matt Nagy did that a few years ago, too, with the Chicago Bears. And look at where the hell it ended up. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to say. I mean, how these coaches work out. And I mean, I think I mean, I think some of these guys are pretty deserving of the job. I mean, I've heard, you know, nothing but good things from Hackett, although he does have kind of that camp counselor uh, personality and Eberflus, you know, sounds to be pretty smart guy, but you know, some of these other hires, uh, like O'Connell might not be that great. Um, and you know, McDaniel's obviously his history and all that stuff, um, with, uh, what he's done in the past with the Broncos and, and, um, you know, t- not taking the coach job, the, the Colts job a few years ago, but it, it's just, you know, the, the jobs, uh, that are available, um, you know, some of these teams aren't well put together, but, I mean, the big uh, one that I wanted, obviously, to talk about is the the Jacksonville Jaguars, of course, uh, fired Urban Meyer after, you know, not even having him for one calendar year, fired on December 13th, and actually hired on January 13, uh, 14, 2021, and fired December 13, 2021. And it's been since then, you know, we had an interim coach, uh, but now uh, no coach right now, and they're still hiring, or they're still looking for a coach. Uh, They first interviewed or they gave the first interview to Byron Leftwich and I think Doug Peterson and looked like it was going to be Leftwich. Uh, I mean, there's some other candidates as well. I don't have them off the top of my head, but those are obviously one of the first two. And now there looks like they're the top two remaining candidates, but you know, we heard the big news from Dilla that is going to be Byron Leftwich. And then um, we didn't hear much and then looked like talks broke down and now comes out that sounds like uh leftwich had some stipulations mainly it sounds like he wanted uh trent balky out the door and wanted to hire his own guy i think adrian wilson or somebody else uh, to be the general manager that he could work with uh, and they 
Also, you know, they they went basically radio silent since Wednesday on that front with uh, Leftwich. Uh, Peterson's come back for a second interview apparently uh, this week. Uh, I think who else? They they tried to interview the Raiders coach, uh, special teams coach uh, from last year. Uh, I don't know how to say his name. Rich Bashia, the guy that uh, led the Rich Raiders. Rich Yeah, that led to the Super Bowl or led them to the playoffs and then lost at Cincinnati. But uh, they they interviewed him. Uh, they wanted to interview Kevin O'Connell, uh, but they hadn't already uh, put in an interview request uh, a couple of weeks ago when they first had the opportunity. And then they decided that they liked him enough to file an interview request on Sunday. But since uh, this was their first interview, uh, they would have to wait the two-week period to be able to um, interview him and then you know go through the process of, of all that. And uh, now it's come out today that it uh, looks like he's going to be taking the Minnesota Vikings job. So, um, you know, if that was one of your guys or somebody that you really liked and you even get a chance to interview him, I mean, clearly you're not doing something right uh, there. Um, I mean, just it's just a, a mess of uh, hiring practices that they're trying to do. And basically the rumor, uh, the reports are that it's like the coaches, they don't want to work with uh, Trent Balky as the GM. And it's, it seems like that's what, what it is. And uh, what's funny is, they they can't say it to uh, the owner's face because the owner is asking shotgun's asking about what the you know are they willing to work with Trent Balky and Balky's also an in interview so you know they all kind of say yes but then they go and talk to the reporter or whatever that's trying to get information and they're like no they don't want to work with him so it it's a it's a bad situation and for whatever reason Balky's got his hand or his finger wrapped around uh Shad Khan and you know basically somehow he's his puppet or something like that I have no idea how how this has come about and uh it's amazing that Khan despite all what looks like all the reports are from outside the organization that nobody wants to work with this guy. He's so far been unwilling to hire or, or to fire him. Uh, and it just, um, you know, it's surprising and, you know, tying back to the Flores situation, it's like, well, they, they're unwilling seemingly like that. They're unwilling to give the stipulations to, uh, Byron Leftwich, but now apparently by, uh, not Byron, but, Doug Peterson uh, is interviewing as well, and they are also interviewing Rick Spielman uh, for a position. And it sounds like Spielman would be like a executive vice president of football operations, sort of the role that Tom Coughlin had a few years ago. And then they had hired um, Doug Peterson to be the coach, and then all three of them, Balky, uh, Peterson, and Spielman, would work together, I guess, and you know, design, construct a team, and and coach. Uh, and Balky, I guess, would have more ability to be on the field and talk to the players, I guess, and interact for some weird reason, even though it's become clear from uh, other NFL players that worked with Balky in the past, mainly Michael Robinson, that uh, he's not a great guy to work with and and uh, t- tends to berate players and tell them that they're not good at their jobs. Um, and then they go out and go to other teams and go get Super Bowl rings. And it's like, well, uh, clearly you don't know what you're doing. So it it's just a bad situation right now. And I'd like to hear a uh, word on it soon. I mean, Dilla was dropping some stuff on the timeline uh, today, hinting at something. Uh, we'll see uh, what it looks like. I mean, I have no idea who's it going to go to. I mean, it's literally 50, 50 at this point, it goes to uh leftwich or, or Peterson. I mean, I lean leftwich cause it clear clearly to me that it, you know, he has a plan. He's got a, um, a philosophy that he wants to use uh, to, coach the Jaguars to lead the Jaguars. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm okay with Peterson as well, but we've already seen him 
how he kind of went down in, in Philadelphia. Um, and I guess, you know, there's always chance for second chances, but you know, it doesn't excite me as much as uh, Byron Leftwich does. So I favor Leftwich there and I would wish that, you know, Shad Khan uh, would do the, you know, the right thing and hire the right man for the job, which uh, I mean, clearly it looks like Leftwich actually wants this job. He wants to come back to Jacksonville. I mean, he wore, he wore a teal suit in his introductory press conference when he was drafted by them as a quarterback. And I think if I um, heard correctly, he, he wore a teal suit in his interview uh, in his first interview, which I think was just via zoom, he wore a teal suit to that. So it uh, tells you how much he's willing to uh, coach and play for the team. Um, and certainly he's somebody that uh, can lead players can lead an organization. Uh, and we saw the last two years, how he worked with Tom Brady. We'll talk in, about in a minute uh, and led them to a Super Bowl, and then led them to uh, the divisional round uh, this year in the NFL playoffs. So, I mean, just do the right thing, hire Brian Leftwich and, uh, call it a day and fire, fire Trimbalki first, do that first and then hire Leftwich and then uh, go carry on from there. But um, just a mess of an organization. And I mean, if Balky continues and they don't hire Leftwich um, and it just shows you shot count doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and Shad's got to, um, we'll see what happens, but I mean, the Jags are going to be stuck with shot until he retires or uh, something else happens. Cause um, it's, going to be going to be a, a long road ahead of uh incompetence otherwise so we'll see what happens but you know we'll, we'll move on now i guess to tom brady retiring uh, of course i learned about it during uh the rolex 24 I was walking around in the infield and heard somebody say tom brady retired and then i was like what and then had to go on my phone and look and of course found out the rumors from adam schefter had come out that uh trent Balk or not trent Balk, but tom brady had retired and that um he, you know, called it a career. Of course, it was initially looked like it was going to be false because no one knew and he didn't release a report. But of course, on Tuesday, announced uh, his retirement from the NFL after uh, 22 seasons. Certainly the GOAT, probably the luckiest as well, uh, considering the teams that he was on uh, when he played uh, for the New England Patriots. But uh, legendary career, uh, one of the greatest of all time, and uh, if not the greatest. And certainly his career from 2000 to 2014 is a Hall of Fame career. But then just his career alone from 2014 until 2021, um, how, what he was able to do in that period is certainly worthy of a Hall of Fame career on its own. And he's got a lot of business ventures now uh, to help him out in the future and best of luck. But certainly uh, got to salute the GOAT, uh, Mr. Tom Brady. Yeah, I had. I gave up the whole fight about who's the greatest of all time after he won the NFC championship game last year against Aaron in uh, green Bay. And then how Tampa Bay baptized the Kansas city chiefs in the super bowl for what ends up being the seventh super bowl in Tom Brady's career. He had a great year this year, uh, led the league in yards. Um, one of the, in at 40, 44, led the league in passing yards and was, um, you know, just, I don't think, I don't think he wanted to quit. I think this is a Giselle call, but, and that's something I was talking about. We were talking about with, um, I was talking about Jim, one of the, the coaches we have at the gym there. It, the reality is Tom Brady is going to be, I mean, all the reporting and all the assholes that reported it early and he didn't get to announce it his own way. I guess it pissed him off, and I, I kind of was of the of, on the team that he was going to come back for another year just for the sake of spiting those people. But Giselle um, probably got in the way, and, and also I'm not sure what Tampa's situation will be in regards to their roster makeup. 
uh, being able to keep a lot of the band together. They were able to luckily keep the band together on their end to get them to the playoffs. They had a basically generally passable game in the wild card round uh, against a mediocre Philly team. They gave a, they were down a, an enormous amount against what is now the NFC representative in the Super Bowl. Um, the Rams with Tom Brady you know, doing Tom Brady things, proceeded to blow that lead. And Tom Brady was in a position to possibly go and get to another NFC Championship game and host an NFC Championship game uh, against his his favorite team, the 49ers. And then the, you know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense um, ceased to exist and left Cooper Cup open. Uh, but then, as I said earlier in the Niners set part, they leave Cooper Cup, everyone's leaving Cooper Cup open. There's nobody can defend him. He's not going to win the MVP, but he probably is the MVP of the week because he's making Matthew Stafford look like a genius. Um, Tom Brady, greatest of all time, all the things he's done, the way he's done it. Tampa Bay is screwed. Um, I'm surprised that Bruce Arians is continuing. Uh, I kind of felt like Bruce Arians, would that would be a way to go and say, hey, Byron, you're thinking about going to Jacksonville? Um, uh, Bruce is quitting. Do you want the Jacksonville job? And then they'll go and look for a quarterback, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it'll, it's definitely not going to be Blame Gabbert, um, former Jacksonville quarterback. Um, Kyle Trask is not good. And even if they wanted to go with him, I don't think he's ready. Um, at the end of the day, I think whether it was him or Todd Bowles or somebody, I, w- I would say like there's going to be a ripple down effect in regards to this uh, decision. But in regards to what he did, um, changed changed you know lots of things record books and threw for 500 yards in the super bowl in a game i got to watch and he lost uh one of the ones he did lose one of the 10 one of the three that he did lose um in the end uh it, it's really something to be as good as he was for as long as he was and ended up doing for two teams play 20 years for the patriots uh, all the players all the generally nondescript players that he made great around him uh, it's it's really hard to quantify how much tom brady did in this league outside of just seven super bowls and uh in the end that's what it is how many rings do you have and um he has seven of them he's got more than any other quarterback in the history of the league uh joe montana is four uh freaking um bradshaw is four and i have a hard time believing anybody's gonna really get anywhere close to seven uh, anytime soon uh, he's a goat for a reason. Yeah, he's definitely the goat, and you know, there's definitely not going to be any other player like him. Certainly, you know, not not a player that can play as long as as he did. And they talked about if Patrick Mahomes were to match his stats, like uh, to to get to the statistics that Tom Brady has, he'd have to play until he's at least 41, which could be likely, but certainly a long time from now, and you'd have to play at the high level that Tom Brady has played for uh, 22 years in the National Football League. But um, it's certainly a career that is definitely first ho- uh, ballot Hall of Fame as we go on in uh, the coming years once he becomes eligible. And we'll move on to the uh, GSP Roundup. You know, first up, we'll talk about NASCAR silly season. I mean, the big, really the big uh, headline there is uh, Floyd Mayweather's team, uh, the money team racing. They announced uh, their uh, intention to, well, they already knew they're going to, or they already announced their intention to drive uh, in the Daytona 500, but they unveiled their team. They'll be uh, driving the uh, number 50 uh, 
Pit Viper uh, sunglasses uh, Chevrolet, uh, and that's going to be driven by Kaz Grala. And they've got uh, Tony Uri Jr. Uh, on the box as crew chief. So it should be a, a good deal there. Uh, Kaz Grala has been proven to be a pretty solid racer. He's been good on road courses, I feel like, and uh, certainly is pretty solid as well on super speedways. Uh, Tony Uri Jr., uh, of course, winning crew chief with Dale Earnhardt Jr. back in the day when the, the eight car on the Budweiser days and then first part of uh, the Hendrick days on the 88 car. Uh, uh, Tony Jr. has been great uh, uh, crew chief and certainly knows how to uh, put together super speedway cars. So I would not be surprised if that 50 car is a, a contender going into speed weeks or um, you know, certainly a car that could make the field because they would have to qualify on time. Uh, and I, I think they could be a, a dark horse contender, certainly uh, in that race. You know, if you had any thoughts on, on that story, uh, Phil. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Mayweather finally, after all these years and all the bullshit they were talking about, uh, finally gets in, uh, that's fine. Uh, I don't like Floyd Mayweather for many reasons, but the Kaz Grala getting a shot, another shot, uh, to run, he's a good, solid racer out from the northeast of Massachusetts. His dad uh, ran in Grand Am in the original DP formula. So that's where the his father uh, did that. So money is there, but Kaz Grahl has also been able to get sponsorship over his time. He's run well at Daytona. He won his first truck race there for GMS. And he's a good super speedway racer, good road racer. Um, they have ECR engines, so they're they are competitive. And when you consider how many open cars are going to be there, um, I would assume it's a forty car field, and I think there might be forty two cars. I mean, it's just a rough number, maybe forty three cars for forty spots. So if you were able to go and qualify well, which the ECR engines will put yourself in a position to, you could qualify on time and it wouldn't matter. Um, there's also the notion of being able to race into the field. And when you think about what we were talking about in the uh, clash discussion, being conservative in that race is probably the prudent play. So if Kaz Grala is actually trying to make something happen, you know, maybe he has Tyler Reddick and, that race, they're trying to make something happen. Maybe they go and move up to the front. And he goes and makes a show that way. Um, so that that's something that we have to see. Uh, it was like David Reagan's going to be in a car. I know there's probably going to be a third wear car. Um, Carl Long is going to have Timmy Hill out there. So, I mean, just based on that, I think that's, what, 40 cars. Um, you know, I don't know how much more there's going to be off the top of my head, but it is what it is. Uh, after all these years of rumors and all that crap, they're actually going to come through with it. So I guess in that sense, I, we should be glad that it wasn't total bullshit. Yeah. Uh, and then moving on to uh, IndyCar, uh, looks like there could be some uh, announced or not announcements, but there looks like a uh, racer is uncovered uh, who could be the the, or I guess a, a part supplier for the 2023 hybrid engine of course, uh, in 2023, it's going to be a new 2.4 liter V6 formula, um, up from 2.2 liter motors, uh, that they've been using since 2012. And, uh, they're looking for a, a spec energy recovery system, uh, that would complement the twin turbo motors, uh, IndyCar would be using its first, uh, hybrid powertrain and then 
Uh, looks like it could be uh, Mahale that's uh, going to be the manufacturer uh, for the uh, that portion of the uh, the system there. So that could be an interesting uh, partnership with Mahale. And then, of course, they're going to uh, have to partner with both uh, Honda and Chevrolet. Uh, of course, they're focusing on the horsepower. And then you bring in the, this hybrid thing could uh, make for some interesting um, power, I guess, and, and ultimately racing on the field. So not really a whole lot there other than just, a, I guess, an investigation on who this uh, manufacturer would be. But certainly it's definitely a, uh, something that we have to look out for, especially going into next year. Yeah, and the, I think the one big piece is how much more the cars are going to weigh and how there's a lot of talk about they're basically going to be the same weight as a prototype, uh, which is a problem. Uh, they won't have a new car at least a couple of years. Um, well, it's interesting to see what will come with that. Uh, the hybridization aspect is whether it's relevant or not in regards to American open wheel racing. I'm not so sure. In Formula One, it is. Uh, in the World Endurance Championship, it is. But I'm not so sure in IndyCar. But I guess we will find out as we go along through the season. We're only, what is it? Um, I didn't change a calendar. Dang it. I mean, today's um, February 2nd. Yeah, it's February 2nd. So we're we're 25 days away from the IndyCar Series opener. So yeah. maybe between now and St. Pete weekend, we might get a little bit more clarity in regards to what they're looking at and how they're going to go and make the cars not be total boats like the Delara toilet was before this DW12 formula came along. Yeah, it should be an interesting storyline, especially uh, moving on from this uh, formula and certainly shows the uh, evolution of, of course, Formula One uh, has been using hybrid engines since uh, 2014. Now IndyCar is uh, potentially going to be using that in 20, uh, 2023. So nine years later, uh, moving on to hybrid formula uh, in American open wheel racing. Uh, and then, yeah, speaking of Formula One, uh, Alfa Romeo uh, says they will officially launch their 2022 car after the first preseason test in Barcelona, but then it, they will insist that they will have have the new car running in Spain. Uh, it looks like, I mean, that, that that's a confusing headline to me. Um, they are testing the car, but they're not officially unveiling it until after the test. Uh, so I guess they're probably going to have to disguise the car and you know, hide the paint scheme and or the delivery of what the car is going to be uh, for uh, this coming season. Uh, and that just looks like they they messed up. Somebody messed up to me on the launch date of that because I feel like uh, properly you should show your car and then go test it. You know, you build up interest going into the test. Now you just I don't know. You leave people confused there. So that's a, a weird headline, I guess. Um, but still, we still haven't seen everybody's uh, uh, 2022 car yet. And still people are looking to launch soon. And then we'll go into uh, preseason testing in Spain uh, by the end of this month and then early March and everything. But then also uh, Michael Massey, the, the FIA did confirm that uh, he could be replaced uh, as race director, but if he weren't replaced, they're probably going to make changes to the uh, trackside structure for the FIA. Uh, so maybe that we can avoid controversies like we had at the end of last season, of course, you know, the biggest one with uh, how we decided the uh, Formula One World Championship for the drivers. And then I mean, we've already covered it 
extensively. Uh, but of course, uh, we can get away from uh, situations like that and you know bring back integrity into the uh, into the grid, into the stewards booth. Uh, that would certainly uh, bring back uh, good good uh, you know sportsmanship and good rules and decisions making from uh, the Formula One stewards and uh, all those people. And then you know, finally, we had the Formula E, uh, Daria. Uh, E-Pri, uh, was uh, two Grand Prix uh, there, um, and the first one, Nick DeVries won and opened his uh, Formula 1, or Formula E title defense in style, and uh, led his teammate Stoffel Van Dorn, a former uh, driver at McLaren, uh, in a, a Mercedes 1-2 finish there, the first race, and then the second race, uh, Eduardo Mortara uh, took victory there. It was a pretty intense uh, race uh, at the second uh, Daria Formula E race, and then he beat uh, Robin uh, Frigin as a safety car. Uh, I guess Frines. came out at the end. Yeah, Frines at the end of the uh, race, a safety car came out. So does uh, don't I? I don't really have much to say about that. I don't know if you uh, pay attention much to that. Give us a insight into that one real quick. Yeah, I'll get into it a little bit. Uh, I mean, the Mercedes team, they're leaving uh, the Formula E championship after this year, but to get a one-two finish, DeVries, Stoffel, Van Dorn, Jake Dennis with their new makeup at Andretti Autosport gets a podium. Sam Bird, longtime competitor in Formula E uh, with Jaguar fourth and Lucas Degrassi, former champion, making his debut for Venturi in fifth. Um, Nick Cassidy, you know, Oliver Askew made his um, debut and finished ninth in uh, the second Andretti car. You have John Eric Verne, two-time champion, eighth in the first race. You know, the looking at some of these people, DaCosta didn't even start. Antonio Felix DaCosta, former champion, didn't even start the race. Oliver Rowland for Mahindra went out early. Giovinazzi dead last behind the two Neos in race two. Um, you know, the you talked about the Eduardo Martara, Luca Degrassi getting a third place finish. So Venturi gets a 1-3. Robin Frines in between that. Lauderer fourth. Jake Dennis finished fifth. Vern Van Dorn. Roland for Mahindra. Pascal Vorline. Nick DeVries finished 10th in the second race. Oliver Askew just outside the top 10. Um, Alexander Sims had issues for Mahindra. So Mahindra didn't have, they had a checkered weekend there. Um, Giovinazzi uh, definitely did not have a good weekend. Uh, he looked way more lost uh, than he probably wanted to. The Neo team, it looks like Neo and Dragon are going to be battling in the back. Um, the Jaguar team seemed a little bit off this weekend, this past weekend. The next uh, race will be in Mexico. Uh, we'll be uh, talking about that in a little more detail um, in in uh, next week uh, in regards to the GSP um, they had, yeah, the Doria Grand Prix or whatever in, um, in Saudi this weekend, you got racer champions and the clash, the, the E-Pri, the Mexico E-Pri will take place next week. That'll be the only race live, um, in between the Super Bowl week and then the Daytona speed weeks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's early in the season it's only the first race. So you really can't say, I mean, I would, I, I would go and say that for Andretti Autosport for Oliver Askew to go and debut and not be off, you know, like 
being around a lot of guys that have been in this series for multiple years and ask you as an IndyCar driver and should probably be in an IndyCar to get in Formula E and be able to be competitive, uh, you know, off the top uh, is is a positive takeaway uh, as we go into um, this this year and some of the new changes that have come on and what may come from the opportunity to be in Formula E itself. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, I, let me go and look here just for a second. I mean, you talked about Michael Massey. I mean, who? I mean, he deserves to be fired just based on some of the garbage that he did last year and the fact that he looks—he's totally out of his depth. Um, I'm going to let uh, Josh go in a moment, but I wanted to give—you know—U.S. Open qualifying for bowling is going on as we speak, or has been. Uh, last week, the PBA Players Championship saw Jason Belmonte um, go and win against um, Arturo Quintero in the semifinal match and then um, in a tough battle there and then beat his longtime rival Sean Rash to win his 14th record, um, you know, extending 14th major championship and 26th title on the PBA Tour. Uh, first title in a couple of years, Australia's COVID um, restrictions, of course, are way more strict than here. And which has affected Belmonte being able to uh, come over here. But, you know, we're talking about goats. Um, you know, Tom Brady retired and there are goats in bowling. But Jason Belmonte is in the conversation as the greatest of all time. And he's a pioneer and trendsetter with the two-handed bowling style. Um, if he can go and win another U.S. Open, uh, that would be pretty uh, spectacular. But who knows? It's going to be an interesting week. Um, we'll probably give you a little bit more next week uh, on the GSP to see who wins the U.S. Open, which is um, one of the most grueling tournaments on the PBA Tour. Yeah, um, sounds interesting. Yep. Yeah, so, of course, uh, in my part of the world with uh, the Sim segment, uh, did some iRacing uh, IMSA, I guess, yeah, the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Uh, they had uh, some... Uh, racing at Watkins Glen that I did this weekend and I uh, ran in the uh, Honda Civic Type R uh, that they recently just released uh, on the iRacing and uh, of course uh, that's currently racing in the Pilot Challenge in real life and uh, it was a, a lot of fun racing in that car uh, did about like three races I uh, streamed two of them um, it's fun uh, just being able to run in that car and then uh, try to you know attack Watkins Glen. Uh, it wasn't the boot, but it's just the uh, the cup configuration. So no, yeah, so no boot, uh, but still able to run onto the curbs and basically you know you use the same type of line that the cup cars use and uh, you know uh, didn't really have a lot of power, but you know you're able to still. Um, you know, slide the car in the corners and uh, be able to uh, really just be on the tack uh, the whole lap. Uh, so a, a lot of fun there. Got a couple of compliments or one compliment from one racer at the start of one of my races. Uh, so you know, always appreciate, uh, you know, when somebody says, oh, you did a good job with, with passing and stuff. And maybe, maybe I might not, not have uh, enough pace at some, some cars, but, you know, I feel like I definitely have a, a lot of race craft and know how to, um, uh, keep the position, keep the defense and know when to attack, uh, 
uh, on, you know, when needing to pass a car and make a position on the racetrack. Uh, and then the other thing I was going to bring up with this is, uh, in R factor, uh, R factor two, uh, they released, um, or they're going to be releasing a IndyCar, um, I guess mod or not a mod, but they're releasing a, I guess, uh, content for IndyCar and it doesn't look like, uh, the, uh, racing is all that great. Uh, as far as with the, the AI goes, um, don't know about with online racing, but at least with, um, AI racing, it looks like kind of very similar to NASCAR 21, where all the cars are kind of stacked together, uh, in, in a pack, especially, uh, on an oval, uh, and they, they had the, the wrong arrow configuration, uh, on Homestead. They're using the, uh, road course arrow, uh, when they should be using super speedway arrow in the trailer. Uh, and then of course he had one car half on the apron and then half on the, uh, the asphalt there, uh, which is certainly not realistic. And, uh, it doesn't look good for, uh, R factor. And it looks like it's a common problem that they've run into over the years. And certainly you saw it in NASCAR 21, which I believe uses the same, uh, engine for, uh, the, the AI and the physics. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see what happens there, but, you know, uh, game developers for sim racing, uh, sometimes don't always get it right. And, you know, you got to be willing to uh, see the criticism and be, you know, be willing to you know, accept some of the faults and can't always just hail the games as, oh, like they're perfect or, oh, like um, should give them a break. You know, I mean, you should be willing to get more than uh, what they're giving us, I guess, uh, in, in some of these games, but, you know, still willing, still willing to play the games as they are and still willing to enjoy it. But, you know, you just have to know uh, how to be honest about um you know, the opinions and approaches uh, to the games, but of course, um, go ahead and go into the close now, but, uh, you know, you can follow me at, uh, on Twitter, uh, at JP Huffine. And then, um, maybe I'll put my Instagram out there too, which I don't normally do, but I mean, I got to post the, uh, Instagram stuff, uh, for, uh, the Rolex 24, which I haven't got around to, but took a lot of pictures there, uh, ran out of space during the race. And then I had to, uh, go out and, uh, I guess on Apple, there's a feature where, um, if you run out of space, uh, look at the apps that you no longer use and you can select, uh, that option. And then it just automatically removes the apps that you no longer are using and frees up that space. And then was able to free up like a bunch of space and take more pictures, take more videos, uh, around the track. Uh, so maybe I should probably upload those. And of course, Instagram, same, uh, handle as, uh, the Twitter, which is, uh, at JP Huffine and, uh, probably look at that stuff, uh, whenever I post it and probably post it to Twitter as well. And then of course the, uh, streams, you can uh, follow that at, uh, at usailor2 on Twitch or Twitch TV slash usailor2. You can uh, look at that and then uh, see what I'm up to when I'm racing. Um, for the most part, I mean, it's all just iRacing videos and uh, maybe maybe one of these days I'll post some PS5 streams or something like that. So um, go and follow those and you know go and uh, subscribe and uh, follow me and see my streams and comment and all that stuff. Phil, uh, what about you? Where we can find you at? You can find me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. You can find the Gripster Pod at Grip Strip Pod, so that's G R I P S T R I P P O D. The G, the S, and the P are capital. Um, you can find the Grip Strip Pod on Twitter. Um, you can find the Grip Strip Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora. Um, I went and closed that out right there, of course. Um, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn. I was looking at the. I mean, we're most of these episodes, I think, uh, right now, once the NASCAR season kind of gets going, we'll start 
uh, picking back up again. Um, we have people that are listening. There are loyal listeners to us every week. So we thank you for that. Um, next week, we will be back for episode 99, episode Greg Moore, um, Wayne Gretzky, who I uh, share a birthday with on January 26th. Um, episode uh, Greg Moore, Wayne Gretzky, and we'll be talking about The Clash. We'll talk about the, um, oh, I literally just forgot what the other race was that'll be on. It'll be Formula E. We'll get into Super Bowl preview, uh, Bengals, Rams. And anything else that comes up uh, next week on the GSP, we'll talk about U.S. Open Bowling and go from there. Um, if you listen uh, to us, uh, we thank you for that. Downloads, everything, supporting us on the socials. Give us uh, feedback. Uh, let us know what you want to hear, if there's anybody you want to hear from. Thank you for that. Um, thanks, Josh. Uh, the swap episode um, uh, is through. Uh, we'll swap back again for episode 99 episode. Uh, Got to start planning for episode 100. That'll be pretty big. Uh, pre Daytona 500 um, will be episode 100 then. Um, but um, that'll be good. We'll do a lot of uh, NASCAR coverage, trying to get some people back uh, for that one. Uh, but thanks, Josh, as always being my right hand man. And in this case, being the lead dude, um, I, being the being the the hired gun theoretically for this show, it seemed a little bit less stressful. So that it was kind of cool. But um, I think at the end of the day, it's a team effort and it's a good team that we have here. So um, always glad to be on with you. Hopefully by next week, you'll be able to talk about a head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I hope More than so. likely a white guy um, since it's the NFL. But um, we'll it, see. But maybe Byron Leftwich can go and be in whiteface and then he'll get the head coaching job. Um, since that's exactly what has to happen for African-American coaches to get a job, you have to be in whiteface. Um, I mean, it's the orange aid principle. Um, but that, uh, for Josh, I'm Phil. Thanks for listening to the Gripture podcast. Um, be safe, take care of one another, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Take care and goodbye.